Power from the Perdomo Scar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from down under outside Brisbane, Australia. It's episode 93 of the Primetime Jukebox. Tonight, the ladies take center stage as we talk about women in music. And as always, the Primetime Jukebox is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars, a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, Perdomo Double Aids 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel-Aids, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Mensa 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And, of course, we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars of Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Carojo seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Carojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to scar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Carojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julius and Justo have brought their very own brand to market and each contain the authentic Carojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release to Dave Burke's liking, the Aladino Candela. Each represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And we want you to tack Tobacolero USA. This week's contest is brought to you. Well, that's not, we're not doing that one. <laughs> We're not doing a contest this week. <laughs> Tobacco USA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco USA, great things are happening here. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. It's a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Black & Scars M81, it's a rich and powerful smoke, but it's beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find these at your local Drew Diplomat retailer. And remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of shows, as well as for the California studios for the Thursday Primetime show, is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Jukebox, episode 93. We are in a late March 2023 edition. Will Cooper here. I'm in the Perdomo Scar Studios, and I'm joined uh, around the world, the other end of the world, the other hemispheres, which is the eastern and southern hemispheres, by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Dave Burke. Hello, Coop. 
Well, well, Dave, you doing? I, you got all the... I'm doing good. It was a little, like I said, I had my. You got all that on. out. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the good news, Dave. We were talking before the show. I have to send Dave some cigars. I think I remembered a couple of cigars I got to send you just from reading that. And yeah. and, and, and the blackens are in there. So that's. <laughs> and then I remembered something else I have to mail with your cigars. So that, that those were two Ooh. things that I got. So, uh, but yeah, so no, it was, uh, like I said, I had a little bit of a uh, studio rearrangement uh, today. Yeah. Things were a little out of whack, so I apologize um, for, for that. But I'm glad we are here uh, today, Dave. So it's uh, good to catch back up. We had we did we actually recorded two shows last time, so we took a week off last week because I was traveling. Yeah, so we got the two shows, which you would have. Well, we'll talk about one of them in a little bit. But one was yeah. the dedication show, and the other one was the Battle of the Bands, which which we'll talk about in this. But uh, but yeah. no, good to be back, Coop to get this show and we had scheduling stuff so the uh women in music show we were going to do earlier in women's history month um kind of closer to women international women's day which was the eighth yeah but uh but we got it we we want to make sure to get it in by the end of of uh get the show in by the end of uh, Women's History Month, get in there. So, and we have because that's March, and yeah, this is March. Absolutely, and you know, we've done this is the fourth year in a row we've done this show. So, we've done this show every year since you and I have formed Primetime Jukebox. So, it has become a tradition. I think it's a great show that we do. Um, mm. you know, I know we like to time it with certainly Women's History Month and International Women's Day, but I think it's a great show to just do in in general. Um, I have fun doing this one every year. I can't, you'll, you'll, I think you may have seen. I took a little different spin with it this year. So yeah, uh, yeah. So just uh, and it, and then I'll talk about how, why I took that spin. It just it just kind of evolved like that. So, <laughs> but no, but uh, no, it's 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 great to be here. I I, I just got back from two trips to Florida. Mm. So um, I uh I am exhausted. Um, I had to replace some equipment in the studio, as I was telling you beforehand. So mm. um, but no, I'm really I'm really glad to be back and and doing this show. And the good news is my travel schedule, at least for the weekend cycles, has has greatly improved right now. So it's gonna be a nice. little easier for me. I'm looking forward to being having some weekends at home for the next uh, at least for the next couple of months. That's good. Yeah. Um. No, travel. Yeah, traveling, traveling, and we'll have to get a, a big smoke uh, update. But yeah. uh, yep, I will. Oh, you were missed. We should have had you there. Like, uh, oh well, you and Loomis were missed. Oh yeah, I got, I got time my, uh, my once every two year uh, America trip a bit better. I guess. Oh no, I'll tell. Oh, I'll tell you what. That was that trip. You know, was a great that day. That yeah, afternoon we had. We met was, in person. It was in person. It was it was really a memorable day in my in my book. So, oh, and, and and Dave, I know you're pulled in a thousand directions of people who want to see you in the states. So I, I we thank you. I mean, I really thank you for making that time. I kept uh, I kept that trip on the on the low. I didn't yeah. uh, announce it as much as usual. I understand. Um, I told you. It, it's like when <laughs> I went back to Florida this week. I was I, I like I should have did that. <laughs> yes. I made the it's mistake because you got to. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to but, tell people uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. But and we'll probably for the listeners here, we'll probably do another. Women in music show at some point, because we've always tried to get guests on. Like, yeah. I know Coop has tried to get guests on some women guests. I've tried to get women music reviewers on and it just had the timing and stuff just has never really. 
work yeah. out. So I think yeah. we might to get a guest on. I think what we might do is do another one during the year sometime. That was actually why so can... I ended up taking the spin I took on some of this too yeah. today. Um, but yeah, I, I know we've been talking about one guest, and I think it's just a matter of all three of us getting our schedules and timing. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that's why that the viewers, uh, viewers, listeners know they're like, well, why don't you have women in cigars or women on the show to talk about women in music? It's because we try, but but it's hard to schedule. Yeah, it is. It um, is. So we might do it. We might do it. Do another one just when when it fits other people's schedules yep. instead of trying to get people to fit ours. We're just going to fit theirs. Yeah, that way I think. Um. I got some. I got some. Uh, I got some music news here, Coop. Yeah, and then I added one a, a sad piece of news. Yes. unfortunately, yeah. Um. Well, I'll I'll start off with since it is women in music. Taylor Swift's concerts have started. This is thanks to Tuna. <laughs> yep, he sent the article. I saw Seth to... sent me the article, which I diligently read immediately. Um, forty-four songs, Coop. Three and a half hours. That's Springsteen esque. That is insane. Yeah. Who, by the way, so, Springsteen is in Greensboro uh, doing his concert in oh, a couple of hours right now. But, Seth, but I don't think Seth is going, but yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, Seth, man. Um, But to give people sort of an idea, so I went to see Lord and Harry. So I'll compare it to Harry because they're the same style of show, like a big arena show, stadium show. Um, So Harry did maybe... Maybe twenty, maybe mm-hmm. solid. That's a good. Yeah, it's solid. It was like an hour and a half. Yeah, you get over sixteen. That's plenty. Yeah, which is solid. Um, Beyonce at Coachella and stuff are known to do like, you know, massive set lists, but in sort of the style of a halftime show, Beyonce might just do the chorus of one, a couple verses from another, then maybe one whole entire song. So you're not really getting every song in its entirety on the set list. Um, I mean, like Rihanna did, what was it, twenty minutes or whatever, and she did thirteen songs, but it was like just verses and choruses and stuff like that. Um, this sounds like Coop. She did like full tracks. Wow, for three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. It's pretty good. That I mean, forty-four true. songs. She might have some in there that were just that that weren't full tracks, but it sounds like most of them were. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the era tour. That's the one that everybody's wanting to get a ticket to. Um, and the rumor is that that show will come to Australia in 2024. Interesting. Wow. That That's the rumor because usually I think every tour she's had, she's come here at the back end of the tour. So we should be looking forward to that. I'm really excited because... We get to see how she plays um, the folklore and Evermore stuff, which I would find really hard to do in such a big venue. Yeah. But that might be like the acoustic breakdown that they usually do, like in the middle of a show. They might be that. Um, but that'll be very interesting. So anyway, she's coming and coming in late July, Coop, to Australia. Lizzo. Oh, wow. Lizzo is coming. She's doing three shows, and I'm hopefully going to get into one of them. So let me ask a question, because this is mm. becoming a big story in the U.S. Mm. Concert price tickets have absolutely mm. skyrocketed. Mm. 
it's even gotten to the point where it's caused some controversy in the Bruce Springsteen ranks um, mm. because Backstreet's, which is the publication that's covered Bruce for over 40 years, uh, was very mm. critical of, of the of the concert price tickets. They weren't happy with the responses from the Springsteen camp, and they announced they're actually shutting down the publication over this, right? Wow. But right. I mean, Springsteen tickets were always considered affordable tickets. And now, you know, these are several hundred dollar tickets. And, and it's this is a theme I'm hearing from a lot of people. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not slowing down concert sales, though. I'll tell you that. So no. Unfortunately, yeah. the demand is there for it. How is it in Australia? I see. I was talking to my wife about this. Uh, When was this? Like after Harry. See, because I heard the same thing about. Taylor Swift's tickets, I think. Like, you could get, like here, you can get, um, you can get affordable. Like, well, you can get like your entry level tickets. That's a ticket to kind of like Harry. We got tickets to sort of like the back row, right? Um, kind of upper deck, which I mean, it was still like an amazing concert, you know. Um, and that was a hundred bucks to get those. So that's like your bargain basement. That's to get in the door. It's like a hundred dollars, right? And that's and that's usually a bit more expensive than normal because it's hairy. See, normal most concerts would probably be so like Lizzo will probably be a hundred dollars to get in would be the cheapest. Like your bigger acts, like uh, Taylor Swift will probably be a hundred dollars. Um, to for like your bargain basement, like you get a ticket, you you get to have you get to see the show. Okay. Um. Now they'll range like I, I think general admission front stage in Harry was something like seven hundred dollars or something or like okay. eight hundred dollars. And is that Australian but, dollars or US dollars? Uh Australian. So in US that would be probably like seven fifty or something. Okay, so it's not seven. far off, right. So so entry level ticket, because yeah, the exchange rate is something like seventy eight cents or something. Right. Um so the and the entry level ticket in Australian for these bigger shows that you're talking about is like a hundred dollars, which in US would be like eighty, something like that. Um, and it's kind of been like that, Coop. I'd have to say the last four years, like ticket prices really have not gone up. Right. Um, I think in America or in America it's mainly what, Ticketmaster or whatever? Uh yeah. See, in Australia, there's two competing ticket companies. So there's Ticketmaster here, but there's also Ticket Tech. Okay. Um, so that might be keeping the prices down. Maybe the market, they're like, hey, listen, if we make the cheapest ticket $200, nobody's going to come. Right. And, and so maybe that's it. But I, we really have not seen tickets go up. Like that Lord, the Lord was an outdoor arena right, or outdoor venue, but the ticket there was like, 70 bucks or something right so it we really have not seen that huge price increase um here i would say like even bruce springsteen i know at the time i i think we paid under a hundred dollars we were behind the stage uh so we had a, like obstructed view but it was like but i want to see bruce really bad so but it was like right maybe 80 bucks and i think at the time too like even then like a ticket, even if you paid US for it, would be like way cheaper here than there. So it might be a cultural thing. It might be that like Australia's only like thirty million people. 
So they're like, well, if we bump up ticket prices, we won't have enough people to, you know, whereas in America, it's what, 350 million. So they could be like, well, someone's going to go. Right, you know right, I mean? right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. so yeah, so we haven't really seen that here. We haven't really had the same ticket problems here that that's happened in the States uh, at all. Yeah, but it's it's definitely becoming a big story here. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yep, some of it is probably so they could pay it. Do you think some of it is like just costs of everything have gone up? And so it's like a cost thing or um, I don't I know. Think, I think it's. I think there's two things. I think there's an inflation cost that we're, we're, we're seeing big inflation in the States, but the demand is there for it. Like people are paying like the Taylor Swift tickets just, you know, they're gone. I mean, they went, you know, they went really fast. Oh, so, yeah. So I think it's I think it's, you know, until the demand uh, changes, they're going to get away with uh, these prices. And look, this is not knocking the artists. Um, everything's gone up here and this is everything's gone up in the US, you know, transit, transportation, equipment, uh venues, you know. So it's all it's all having a ripple effect. So I, I really can't beat up on the artists too much. Um no. per se. Although you could argue how much is is enough. But yeah. Um so yeah, but I, I just think that the demand has not subsided. I mean I mean and, and it seems like that this year is the first year since two thousand nineteen that people are like are going back to concerts. They're excited about going back to live shows. So it's it it is. A, I think it's been a something really good that I'm seeing this year here. Yeah, and there's and like I said, like in Australia especially, we're getting a lot of big acts coming through. Yeah. Like I would say this is the like because because of acts just coming out and also shows that have been delayed since COVID. Like this is probably the biggest year for concerts in Australia by far. Like I mean, you have yep. Pink came out or Pink is out now. Oh, Pink's touring. Okay. Pink's touring. Ed Sheeran for just finished. Harry just finished. Uh, Lizzo's coming by late 2023, early 2024. Taylor Swift is supposed to be coming. Like, yep. Lord just came out. Like, there are a lot of big shows coming out. Yeah. Which is yep. unlike us. We usually get only, like, one or two a year, usually. It definitely seems like, yeah, you, you go into two in a week is a big deal. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, like we usually get usually what they do is with their year. If, they, if they're doing like an Asian tour, like going to Japan and stuff, they'll usually tack on a couple Australia dates kind of around there. Um, but no, it's very, very exciting. Agreed. Um, no, it's good for yeah. you guys. Yeah, it's good. Agreed. It's good that you guys are seeing that. Oh. Um. Um and yeah, definitely check out Dave's uh, concert reviews on the site of Lord and um, Harry Styles. If you have, yeah, hopefully I'll get a Lizzo one. It'll take some doing. Yep, because I might have to travel for that one. But we'll see how, how far you got. How far you got to travel? Well, they're not coming to Brisbane, which is unfortunate. Uh -huh. So I might have but, to go to Sydney. That's a that's a now that's a hike. That's like probably from that's, me that's going a to fly. Okay, it's yeah, a fly. Yes. How many hours is it? Like if you had to drive it? Oh, like. If I had to drive or if I had to fly. So to fly, it's like two. Uh-huh. To drive, it'd be like 10. So it's like for me going to Miami almost. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a hike. Yeah. It's a hike. Um, And I did both this past week. I drove to Miami and back, and then I flew to Miami and back. So. You are. Well, you're. 
Yeah. <laughs> the Miami second trip was a little unexpected. Now. Yeah, but I had to go back. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh, yeah, like that's what everyone's saying. Why don't you move there? <laughs> so yeah, that's a hike. I mean, I, I, you know, and then you know, I, I actually would probably fly if I was going to a concert in Miami, just because. Uh, mm, well, it's you it, you're in and out, really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I saw this next item: the unfortunate death in the. I just saw this industry. I just caught up with this one today because I was catching up on stuff. I and mean, this happened last week. Yeah. Um, Clarence. Haskins, a.k.a. Fuzzy Haskins, who is the co-founder of Parliament Funkadelic, a favorite of mine, um, mm. passed away at the age of 80. And, um, you know, I think Parliament Funkadelic, I know it's very much associated with George Clinton, right? And George Clinton yeah. certainly and, and Fuzzy Haskins wasn't with them the whole time. And he left he left the band many years ago. But I think he was a key component to the establishment of Parliament Funkadelic, who they're pioneers in the world of funk. And really, Haskins, if you kind of look at his roots in the music industry, he's been around Mm. a while. He came out of the doo-wop era, okay? And the doo-wop era really is considered a predecessor to the funk movement. Like a lot of people in funk, you could trace it back to to the the doo-wop era. And in fact, when when the the band was originally like there was a, his band was really called the Parliaments, right? And then yeah. they were doing doo-wop, and then there was some sort of an issue with the name; they weren't allowed to use it. So they created Funkadelic, and then eventually they became Parliament Funkadelic. <clears throat> if you listen to that Funkadelic, that early Funkadelic stuff, uh, and the early Parliament Funkadelic stuff, it very much has a different vibe than it has. A, a doo-wop influence with funk, right? And then really in the 70s where it evolved to the funk that we know about. Um, so it it is, I think, you know, he's a very historic figure. He had a lot to do with um, that transition and he was a key songwriter and vocalist. Um, I, put a, I put a few songs up on there. Um, I want to know if it's good to you is one. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a thing. You got a thing. Everybody's got a thing. Um, those first first two songs, um, they are really what I would say good examples of kind of that um, that Parliament Funkadelic that that kind of uh, early, early stuff, um, and that is on those are both on the Mothership Connection album, which is you know again considered um, no they're not on the Mothership Connection con- I I blew that one they're not on the Mothership Connection album I apologize, um, but the third one's on Maggot Brain. Yeah, Mag Brain's the, the great. Third, the third yeah, one, yeah. Which, I which I didn't say. Boy, am I disorganized. Uh, the third song <laughs> is Can You Get get To That is from Mag yes. Brain. So, yes. Yeah. So, so, yeah. But as far as the other two songs, those are earlier uh, Funkadelic songs. I'm going to just, I don't know. I put that wrong up there. Uh, the, the wrong album's up there, so I apologize for that. Uh, but those are fun, fun, Funkadelic um, in, uh, songs that, you, that you'll hear. Yeah, so it's interesting because... Um, Parliament, like I got to see them in concert long, oh, you did. long ago. Yes. Which is very good. But Parliament has been one of those things that's like it's sort of like Lady Smith Black Mombazo in a way. Like you have your core members and they always seem to have people coming in, coming out. Like it's a massive ensemble. It, um a lot of those a lot of those funk and soul bands in the seventies did that. Mm. Um it, it, it yes, we uh we uh definitely um 
it's not something we're used to today. Um, you know, and here's a weird thing, Dave. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is usually kind of frowned on that. Like, it, mm. we have a lot of band changes. But w- I noticed with, like, Parliament Funkadelic, it didn't affect them. Um, mm. Because I think, again, Bro. they got in. They got in in 1999. They got in a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. Ago. they're. I mean, they're iconic. Yeah, they're iconic. But I think it, it has hurt. We, we've seen um, it has hurt a lot of other bands. Mm. Yeah, they it's no, but um, it's interesting because yeah, like you were saying, it's like Funkadelic was just sort of like a side project, and then became this like big thing. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, excellent songs, very um influential band. I'm glad I got to see him when I did. Um, no, I just think some of the, I mean, some of the members of that band are, are just iconic. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, correcting my album, uh, it's the Free Your Mind album, and your ass will follow with those two songs. It wasn't. A... Oof. So they were nineteen seventy. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's that whole. It's that whole mothership funk sort of movement y- thing. Yep. Yep. Which is just great. Yeah. No, it really is. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, it's I, I This is a movement of music. I think that's definitely. I don't hear people talk a lot about today, unfortunately. No. I mean, we know, we no. know Matt Booth is into the funkadelic stuff. Uh, well, oh, definitely. Yeah, but he's what, almost my age, so. Well, it's interesting, though, because so many artists sort of have that funk vibe. Like, you think you get more play out of it. But, man, I mean, kind of things come in cycles. Yeah. But Speaking yeah, of, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, just kind of going back. If you go back and look at that, the list of the band members who were in Funkadelic, um, mm. it is, I, it's got to be over twenty five. Oh yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. um, I just want to emphasize that point as well. So, Battle of the Bands, Coop, we're here. Yes. yes. Hector has his RC cola. You have your what? What did you have? Diet. Diet right. right or whatever. I got diet right, yeah. So if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, tomorrow you'll see Battle of the Bands. Uh, the voting will open up. Uh, two matchups for two days of time. That's how we do it. Uh, but I will announce the prizes. Uh, so basically, when you vote, if you retweet your vote mm. and you hashtag it with PTJ, um, mm. I, I capture all those tweets. And I picked three winners. Uh, you could, And you can retweet as much as you want. Uh, so the three prizes are, first of all, we'll have a $50 Vinyl Me Please gift card because we got to put some Ooh. music in there, right? Yeah. Um, there'll be a, also a prize of a Drew Estate uh, 25th anniversary backpack. I'll put the pictures up of this as well. Uh, that has a cigar case with it. So those are, are highly limited. Um, and then we'll have one of those long – I have another one of those long Alec Bradley ashtrays um, from last year. So that will also be something that's available uh, to you. And um, so, yep, you'll have those prizes. Uh, they're only available to the U.S. except the Vinyl Me Please card. So you can win the Vinyl Me Please card if mm. you're not in the U.S. Uh, yep. So what the way it works is I will pick three winners. The first winner will have a choice of the prizes. The second winner will have a choice of the remaining two prizes. And the last person gets the final prize is how it works. So, ah, uh, fantastic. Yep. So, oh, uh, I'm yep. so excited for this. Yep. So, up. Uh, yep. So, we'll be starting that tomorrow. And that tournament will probably usually runs about a little over a month. So, I think by early May, yep. we will have a champion crowned. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it was interesting. There was a lot of discussion about, about the draft when I was in Florida by a Ooh. lot of people. Um, and, uh, I'm going to say it, a lot of people feel surgeon blew it. <laughs> it's like they kinda, blew it. Yes. They thought he should have picked purple rain over a thriller. Oh yeah. That was what they said. Surgeon blew it. They said, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, now, I was... you never know what could happen. I just said, you so, don't know. Yeah. I think. Votes, so I mean, your votes always matter. So get out and vote. Right. But I think this is going to be, and we talked about it on the show. I don't see any like clear, it's going to kill everyone, you know, record. No, I I definitely agree with you on that. I think um, it's going to be closer than last year. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I de- I definitely think it's going to be uh closer for sure. Um, I know Hector was interviewed on uh, the Smoke and Tobacco show, and the draft came up on the show even with those guys. Oh, so, he's yeah. So he got Purple Rain, didn't he? He got Purple Rain. So you know, ah, surgeon. But you know, last year, look, when we did '90s, Nirvana just smoked through the tournament. Oh, just it, yeah. There was. I mean, it had a little is, challenge, but it had that Wu Tang. Uh, the Wu Tang. Doctor Dre. It was Doctor Dre. Dr. Dr. Dre. Doctor Dre. Dre almost pulled it out. Um, but that was mm. it. So uh, it will. But it, yeah, there was the other thing is everyone was surprised. And I think we said this. W- the Wilburys weren't drafted. That was, I think, the one everyone said. Yeah. How did they? Not, and I kind of looked at it. And said, how did they not get drafted? You're right. It's hard because you yeah, want to yeah. be because with the draft, just a little behind the scenes, uh-huh. you know, because you want to have a little bit of difference from, from the other albums, you know, like you want something that's just a little bit. And they just kind of fell through just because yep. of like what everybody else was the way the board sort of yep. shaped up. Yep. I agree. So, uh, so yeah, it will, we'll see what happened. Um, we'll see what happens when the voting opens. Uh, so, uh, I will be, uh, curating the votes over the next few weeks and, uh, mm-hmm. we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you just never, yeah. never know. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. Did we, now this year, you, Actually, someone else took a female artist besides you this year, uh, which is uh, Hector took Madonna. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, Madonna's she and he took like a virgin, didn't he? He took like or, a virgin. Yeah. And you yeah. took uh, Whitney. I took Whitney. Yeah. With so Whitney. Yeah. Now, historically, we've the women have not done good in this. One, but last year, Alanis made hey, the final four. Alanis that's won. right. So, you know, we were all I saying Dave's going to pick women. And I was get- roundly mocked. At yes. the draft, it were roundly marked. Like, final four. <laughs> Thank you. So, so yeah. Um, but but Alanis made a good run last year through your bracket. So, uh, you know, yes. it, it, any anything could happen. Anything can happen. Yep. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Prince does. In, I want to. It'll be interesting to compare how all the number one seeds do and see who wins by the biggest margin and kind of see all that. Last year was interesting because all of our number one seeds except Surgeon, no, except yours, except yours, you mm-hmm. didn't have the number one. Uh, you yeah. had Radiohead, which again, yeah, really I'm done it. with picking Radiohead. I've tried, <laughs> and it just doesn't. Yeah. No. Yep. Yep. Um, but that'll be interesting, and in the wrap up from that. Yeah. Yep. Um, I want to hear in the notes here. So we go. We're moving to cigar news. I got soap opera PCA in the notes. <laughs> I want to hear that. Well. There's nothing that's a bigger soap opera in the cigar industry than when and where the PCA trade show is going to be. Oh, yeah. Yep. So yesterday, 
uh, or Friday, if you're listening to this. Um, and by the way, this this uh, this was we did know about this. Okay, so there was a few of us who didn't know. Um, but uh, it was announced that the PCA trade show in 2024 will be in um March tw- beginning open at March 22nd, not the usual July oh. time frame. And yeah, and uh, it's moving to the Las Vegas Convention Center. Okay. Uh, so this just a couple of things, and I've had my opinions on this. Um, it's for as long as I've been going to the trade show, people have wanted that trade show out of the summer. So oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's been some pressure, and there's some things I think going on with the PCA. Why, why, and I think there's a couple of other things besides the pressure. I don't think the pressure was as heavy as people make it out to be. I think there was a mm. vocal group, um, but now they put it in the first quarter. Which is up against the pro cigars, the pro sabors, the factory mm. trips, uh, TPEs in January. Um, cigar aficionado has that big smoke. It's ultimately gonna. It's, I don't think it was in the best interest of the industry to do that um, mm. because um, it's going to put a lot of strain on the manufacturers. Um, but like I said, there were people who want to do that buying in the beginning of the year, not the middle of the year, and then so this made some yeah. sense. Now, the other thing that I think was going on is so it's been held. It's going to be this show is going to be at the Las Vegas Convention Center. Normally, the show, it hasn't been at the Las Vegas Convention Center in five years. The past few years have been at the Venetian, which is the place that people tend to like. Uh, it's a central location. They love that bar, that Bar Luca, which is the old, which was the circle bar beforehand. And they, they love that. Mm. Um, the problem is, and this is what I do know some inside baseball. The PCA had a terrible deal. Not only did they have it at a, a oh. time that they didn't want to have it, but the deal was not – it was not a good business deal for them. So it was in their best interest. I don't fault them for getting out of the Venetian. I don't fault them for getting out of um, July. I just didn't like where they what the time they moved it to. Um, okay. That's the part I, I don't like. It's not the worst mm. decision the PCA ever made. Now, that's for 2024. The word is 2025, they are seeking another new location. Um, oh. A lot of people think it could be New Orleans because oh, they were full. They were, uh, that, I'll, I'll save my rant for New Orleans if it happens, but that yeah, right, was right, right, being right. floated around at the trade show last You know, that was a, It wasn't a secret. They, they were telling people. A lot of people thought it was going to be 2024 March in New Orleans. And I guess what happened is something can't open at the Las Vegas Convention Center. They'd rather stay in Vegas. I mean, it's it's easier yeah. for the manufacturers. They can store their stuff out there. Now they're going to have yeah. to drag their stuff to New Orleans if that happens for 2025. We don't know that yet. They haven't announced 2025 yeah. yet. So it's, wow. a, it's the biggest soap opera in the industry. Wow. Yep. Well, it'll be interesting. Do you think, yeah. I mean, I know one of the issues with New Orleans was the ability to smoke <laughs> anywhere. Um, the, and the other issue is the humidity. Do you think if it's at a different time, like at least the humidity it, it, it will be, be a bit early. better? Yeah, yeah, it will be earlier, which is good. But the but, pro- the problem is New Orleans lacks centrality mm, for that trade show. It, you cannot be in a central place. Even the Las Vegas Convention Center, you could be somewhat central. But you're spread mm, like There's no places. And I think the PCA will get some concessions made for this. I don't mm, think they'll go in there, but it's like people have short memories of 2015, which most people consider a disaster of a trade show. Yeah, that did not go over well. Yeah, um, no, it did not. No, I got. Oh, do you want to give a big smoke sort of recap? 
Yeah, um, I'll just give her. Uh, uh, we're gonna do a show on Tuesday night where we'll go into a whole bunch of detail on it, right? Well, but uh, it was myself, Bear Duplissy, Ben Lee, and Aaron Nielsen. We converged in Florida, and we uh, we kind of got together, rented a house for the weekend, and we went to the big, uh, the Great Smoke on Saturday. Oh, Great Smoke! Um, sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a really good event. Uh, first of all, this event is like massive now. You're talking over a thousand people now under. Mm. This is a this is like I've been going on and off for the past 10 years, by far the most crowded one. I can argue it's getting a little too big, but, you know, I, I could just tell you we we had some, you know, you get 32 cigars. The cigars are pretty good. Right. I actually gave my cigars to Aaron Nielsen um, and Ben because the long story short is when I got the tickets, I wasn't sure if if all of us were going. So I took three tickets oh. and a companion ticket and I kept the companion ticket, companion ticket. Don't get your cigars. I didn't want to, oh, I didn't want right. to waste it on these guys. I didn't want to waste it is what, you know? So, uh, yeah. but, but yeah, we, we saw he uh, Hector wasn't there. Okay. Hector had to go to an event in, um, Ohio. So it was like 19 oh, degrees okay. where he was. Right. Uh, oh, but we did, but we did see a lot. We, uh, we saw a lot of people. I think, uh, we saw it. Mike, Mike and Mike were there. Uh, mm -hmm. They were there as media. They were there as media. They were there as media. Yeah, they were, didn't have okay. a booth. So, um, I think oh. they did a recap show on Tuesday. I have to see what their media coverage yeah, is, I got but I, I haven't saw it yet. So they were there. Um, the Drew State folks were there. Uh, Ben and I actually saw mm. Jonathan Drew on Thursday night. Um, oh, nice. Spoke in. So we, yeah, that was another crowded thing. Um, oh, yeah. I think the big highlight for me, uh, the Crown Heads Osgener booth. Uh, mm. Tim Osgener was there. Uh, I had a really good discussion with Tim. Uh, he is an absolutely great guy. Uh, Miguel Shodell was representing Crown Heads, so they had good representation mm. there. Um, and it was good. Tim was one of these guys, you know, he stayed at his booth the whole time and just talked to everybody who came by. I mean, he did a really oh, nice, nice job with that. Yeah. Uh, we saw Pete Johnson there. Um, I'm trying to think of oh booze was we saw booze. Yes, we saw booze. Uh, yeah. yeah, we saw booze. Uh we did not Nick Perdomo could not make it because he had surgery on his oh. on his shoulder. We did go see Nick Perdomo on Friday at the Perdomo office. Um so we uh we basically uh, Ben and Aaron flew in and Ben mm. and I went to the Perdomo office that has a nice lounge. We hung out there until those guys got Oh there. nice. Yep. So then we went to the house after that because we uh, we couldn't get into the house early, but uh, but it was a good time uh, yeah. overall. It was a really good time overall. It's a, it's a really good event. Um, I think, you know, things like PCA are not consumer events, right? Mm. But if you're looking for a cigar event to go to, like, and get value, I I can't find an event that has better value than than Great Smoke. The tickets are very reasonably priced for this. They're like one hundred and sixty five dollars, and you get thirty two dollars right. in swag. I, I'm just telling you, I've been to other events that. Don't come close to that value is what I'm just saying. And I know mm. I do a show with Abe and everything, but if you find me another event with better value, let me know is what I tell people. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the bad news is the event's going to conflict with Pro Cigar next year for me. So I won't be. A oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's again, that's scheduling stuff. You know, Abe's got this venue mm. at the South Florida Fairgrounds. It's like a indoor facility, which is really nice. And, you know, he, he's obviously limited when he can get it. So. Mm. Nice. Yep. So you will miss. Would have been fun hanging out at the house. We oh, we were up at the house late. That smoking. Me. Yeah. Uh, I, 
Oh, the other thing I'll just mention. Ben and I drove down. Yes. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The uh, let me. I'm not going to say who we rented the car from. Uh-oh. Right? But how we we got that car deodorized is all I'm going to tell you. Oh, no. I mean, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. I mean, Rough. we're like, so, yeah, it was a combination of osium with a car wash. because got ashes all over oh, the place. <laughs> oh, God. But we had a smoke, right? But when, you know, two of us, and here's the thing, like, I don't like smoking with the windows open, so I'm trying to bang crazy. Oh, Jesus. Well, because it ruins your smoking experience, right? So I crack it a little, but when you do it with two people, it's tough. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you better have totally disinfected that thing. We did. And believe me, I went to I went to a car wash and I'm like I had one of these thirty dollar car washes, like where they really do the interior. I'm like, scrub it, vacuum, like just do because the osium worked to some extent, but <laughs> this was but but we did not get surcharged. So but I'm not gonna say oh, where we rented from, so Ah because I don't want to get turned in. No. Yeah. Uh wow. Well that's good. I so just going on to the developing palettes review. I got okay. a question for you. This it's more of a question for you, Coop. Right. Um, and it's sort of a theme I'm seeing on the on their well, watching their show. Um, so they talked about a Freud cigar, I think it was like 30 bucks or something. The agape. The agape, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's I've seen a, I've seen them a couple times, like just price prices going up and like a lot a lot more, it seems like there's a lot more twenty thirty dollars cigars than in the past, and I'm just wondering, like, in your opinion, like, why is that? And they must sell, right? I mean, you're not going to price something that's not going to sell. So, who's buying these cigars? Like, is someone just walking in a shop and like, yeah, I'll pick up a thirty dollars cigar, or yeah, you know, Dave, we didn't do the re- we we never got that recap show in, right? I know we were talking about doing one yeah. too. But one of the things that came up when because we're waiting for Aaron to finish his list and everything. But one of the things that came up on Aaron's recap show and in my year end thing was the higher price cigars. Mm. Um, so cigar prices are increasing in general because of inflation. But I think there's other things driving it right now. Uh, I think when Cuba raised their prices to the Hong Kong prices, it's had a ripple effect. Like Davidoff's ha- had a ripple effect. Um, and, and others, right? Now what I'm seeing is some of these cigar companies are like, well, we want to be luxury cigar players, right? So mm. they're they're trying to enter the market. So a lot of – and some of new companies like Freud and others mm. are um, not you know, not so new. The thing with the Freud one is they're making their cigar at a guy named Eladio Diaz's factory who used to be with Davido. Mm. So they're – and they're positioning this as a luxury brand. The problem is I didn't have that cigar. I had the other Freud cigar. Doesn't stand up to these price points. It's just not. No, standing. it's still got to be a good cigar. So I don't quite get it, to be honest with you. Um, but there's obviously people trying to get into that market, and I don't think it's going to last. I'll be honest with you. I mean, Freud's got a lot more work to do. Uh, mm. if, if they want to play in this space. Yeah, I just found it odd, or not odd, but I mean like. Like, it would be strange for someone just to take a flyer on a three dollars cigar from a brand they they don't know a lot about. Right. I mean, I mean that was our <laughs> when, when Freud was going into the trade show with with these cigars because this was something at the trade. That was the question I had: is 
Well, I mean, people could, people look, if you're going to spend $25 on a cigar, they're going to go dab it off Padron Fuente. Yeah. I mean, that's just reality. Drew State doesn't even have a cigar in that price point. No. General's got a few. Altidus has a few, but not many. But, but yeah, I mean, there's these. I mean, so the, the question, like, and Stogie Santa would always say this to me is, okay, you like this cigar, but would you spend $20 on that cigar versus $20 on a really, you know, one of the tried and true Perdon? Yeah. He's not wrong on that. Yeah. No, it's just interesting. Yeah. So I think you make a very good point. Uh, did they kill that cigar? I assume they the, did. Uh, yes. I think, well, I don't I mean, think the price point helped. Uh, yeah. That, I, I, <laughs> Uh, the the developing palace. Yeah, the uh, uh, um, they yeah. <laughs> um, I have not smoked the agape. I've smoked. The, I don't. I've smoked the super ego, which is their other. Mm, one. I don't yeah. know if they're high on the brand at all, to be honest. Um, I have their. I'm gonna pull up the review here. Um, and I should have looked at this before the show. I uh, so the scores were uh, there were two goods. Okay, so John and June gave it a good good score. They gave it. They rated it good. John was 6.17, and June was very high at 7.17. Uh, mm. Seth rated it average at 5.60. Yeah. Um, like he, but his point was, he goes, he goes, I hate saying this. It's the price. This is not a $30 cigar. I don't care about the circumstances. I could not direct a, a, a smoker to this cigar. I couldn't justify it. And an Aaron uh, 5.40, which yeah. some may say is a good score for him. I think they had some draw issues and stuff, which John's point is like you can't spend thirty dollars on a cigar and you, have draw you, issues. You know what? And, and and I tell you something. A lot of times, I'll just like, yeah, I I you can't do that. And and the score is what the score is. But sometimes, you know, you always say, does the score stack up to your experience? And I think yeah. in a case like that, it's it's like no. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I could give, like let's say I gave a cigar an eighty-eight. But if it if it was a thirty dollar cigar and it had drawer and burn issues, I'm like, yeah, you yeah, can't. You yeah. can't. Yeah, you know, I just can't. What you know, you shouldn't for thirty dollars. You shouldn't be fighting construction issues. No. Yeah. Um. Well, we're smoking. I'm gonna cut what I'm smoking. I'm gonna tell with, yeah. with my original. You can see in the picture there, cigar hustler cutter. Did he Look send that, that to you? Did he send that to you? No, I bought this. Okay, man, ten years ago or something. Original. Oh wow! Because a, yep, I got from the cigar hustler the wasabi lancero I talked about when uh, Hector was on. They came which in, I, which I did smoke. I have smoked, and I got some feedback on that. Yeah. Um. So what do you got here, Coop? All right. So I did stick to the theme tonight. Um, I'm smoking the Perdomo 20th anniversary Maduro. Um, this is the Epicure size. This is that Toro. It's got a like that trunk press on it. Uh, and really, this is, I'm going to put tribute to Janine Perdomo, who's Nick Perdomo's mm. wife, who mm. is a big part of the operation here in the U.S. Uh, you know, she's I think she's the her company title is the COO. So she okay. is very high, you know, but she is uh, an integral part of that operation. Um, so I think she is one of the unsung uh, women in the cigar business. I think. She's not unsung, but I think she's one of the top women in the cigar business. She really knows the business well. So, uh, yep, I'm gonna in honor Janine. I'm gonna light this one up tonight. They were nice. they were great hosts to us down at the at the Perdomo office. In oh, Atlanta. good. Yeah, I was trying to get one from uh... Nick's got a lot of Nick's a big music guy, by the way. Just we were talking mm. a lot of music. 
Now, Nick Jr., uh, Nicholas's son, is a big Tears for Fears fan. He was not as high on the Tears for Fears album as I was. Okay. But, right. he, but he said it wasn't a bad album, but I think he's much more old school Tears for Fears. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yep. That new album's so good, though. It, um, it is. It is. It is. Mm. It is a good album. It, it's different. That's the one thing I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not like the other ones. Yeah. Well, I'm going to fire up. Fire it up. And uh, so we kind of talked about our, our, uh, um, Initial thoughts. Uh, I'll let Coop talk about his theme. Yep. When we get there, but so 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 I can let Coop light up. I'm gonna start with my sure. first ahead. one. Um, as I get through all my notes, which are just like everywhere. Okay. First off, and I try to pick people I haven't talked about in a while. Um, Janis Joplin with "Cry Baby" is the first song I have. Uh, this is off of Pearl, which was actually released after her death in 1971. Um, Janis Joplin, incredible artist, very influential, especially to like if you look later on to women like Joan Jett and stuff like that, like more into the rock side of things, I guess. Uh, incredibly influential artist, uh, amazing bluesy track. This one, um, and also she did get on stage once and uh, knock out. Jim Morrison for ruining a uh, Jimi Hendrix show. She did do that. And wow. so you got to. Wow. So she was watching Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison got on stage and started singing. And she's like, this has to end. And she went up there and like belted him and like pulled him off the stage. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, yeah. So shout out to Janice Joplin, who really like the other sort of myth about her is she only got into singing because she was at like a bar or something and she got really hammered and they had her and she's like oh I can sing and they had her come on stage and she started singing and there you go wow you know we talked about Janis Joplin I know on a previous show Mm. and her career was very short and it's always the big question what would that career have been like if she even was still alive today I mean it's just oh yeah definitely just wonder what what would have been especially with her we won't know um, now that Coop is all set to go, what's your so first one here? Yeah, let me just tell what I did a little different. Um, I was picking some disco songs, right? Because I was gonna put a couple of disco songs in this, right? And you know, the disc we've talked about disco being, I think it's a very open genre of music. They've welcomed everybody, uh, LGBT, uh, and and women especially have had a um a lot of success in in the disco area. As I started doing this, right? It it came to me that there's a lot of one-hit wonders with with female artists. So I said I didn't want to do all disco, right? So what I did is I kind of kept almost to a one-hit wonder theme. I think my last one is probably the one that's controversial because I think the artist is bigger down by you, but I don't think anyone's heard of them here. So I kind of took a little liberty with that one. Um, but I think these are all songs that people have heard of. So I don't think, um, mm. again, maybe except for the last one, uh, because it's in the U.S., but um, I'm going to go in chronological order here. And my first one is uh, 
an artist uh, who goes by the name of Andrea True Connection. That was her stage name. Her name was Andrea True. And the song is More, More, More. And I think everyone's heard that song. Um, it became a disco anthem. And it became uh, like an anthem for the Sex and the City show. They used to do a mm. lot of HBO promo promos. And they do these like clips from the show to More, More, More. Um, not that I... I, I Again, I can't say I've watched a lot of Sex in the City. I've watched a couple, but I'm not really, mm-hmm. I never really got mm-hmm. into it. I only watched it because the one character smoked cigars, right? <laughs> that was the, uh, but, um, but the Andrew True, okay, so this is an interesting story. And I, I, you know, so I don't know if people know who Andrea True was, but I think it's worth mentioning. She was a porn star, she came from the porn industry. And what happened was she went to Jamaica to do a commercial and, uh, mm. She couldn't get back to the U.S. because there was a ban on like asset transfers that she had, right? Okay, right. So, right. She, she opted to stay in the, the, uh, the Jamaica, and she invested money in a studio uh, and said, "I'm going to become a singer." Uh, she called on someone by the name of uh, Greg Diamond, who well known in the music business at the time, uh, and uh, to help her record that. And he basically with her, um, Diamond worked with her, and they, they wrote the song more, more, more. Um, and eventually she kind of became a a musician, but she never had any other success after more, more, more. Mm. Um, so this was but this was a huge song. Uh, it's sampled a lot today. And mm. I think it was so important uh, because I think this is where I picked this one, especially because this is, I think, what started a lot of these. This song kind of led to a lot of the other women I'm going to talk about, particularly in the disco era. To kind of take a shot. And she took a shot. She had a huge hit. Uh, she did die. Andrea True died about like 11, 12 years ago. Okay. But this song is, you know, it's a historic song. I, I, I can't. It's a very important song to the disco era. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of your classic one hit wonder in the sense that like, I, I wouldn't know it when you said it. But when I hear it, then you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, then you're I've like, wow, this before. like, and then you don't think of her the one hit one until you say, well, name another Andrea True Connection song. You can't. So, <laughs> can't. yeah. Um, my next artist, I've talked with about her in the past, but I always think she's uh, easy to bring her up because she's so <clears throat> influential in the genre, and that's Betty Davis. And the track I chose we, was we, Nasty Gal. She just passed away. She did. Yeah, we, I know. Um, this is a very uh, we, yep. Go ahead, Dave. I was just gonna say, which we had a bit of a uh, in memoriam too. Yep. Or spoke spoke about on the show. Um, I mean, which is interesting, Coop, that when we talk about her just passing away, because she didn't really do much. It didn't record much into her later years, which you see a lot of artists doing. Um, which is unfortunate, really. Uh, but she was in a relationship with Miles Davis. That's a very abusive relationship. That will. That will, that idea of being an abusive relationship will come up for a couple, yeah, of women. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate, yeah. Um, but uh, she's a pioneer of that sort of acid funk, with this sort of mix of feminist and race themes, and a lot of sexuality and really sort of um, a lot of agency, very aggressive music. It's very good, um, Betty Davis, and just her whole sort of persona. Yeah. Uh, Nasty Gal has, I picked this song, so it kind of has all those themes in it. Um, 
and it showcases just sort of that like really you know we talked about mothership funk and she was sort of into that as well like record covers with her wearing silver spacesuits and stuff and it was just uh yeah i mean a pioneer during that time and and um and an excellent uh, artist that should be celebrated constantly because of how good she was. Yeah. Very I, unsung we, artist, too, Coop. I think very, a lot of people don't know Betty Davis. No, very edgy, too. I mean, mm. Betty Davis was doing edgy stuff like 50 years ago. That, I think, yeah, she's pushing the envelope, man. She was pushing the envelope before a lot of women were pushing that envelope. I mean, and when I say push it, like, it's sexuality, really, really, really strong, too. Yeah, it's very good. So, I mean, like I said, I think she's rather unsung. Yeah, uh, and underrated. So I, I enjoy definitely her music. check I out check music. out her records. I oh, you'll be blown away if you've never I, heard her before. I I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah, that was a good pick. I love Betty Davis. Here we go. This is what I'm loving here. All right, my next one. Uh, the artist is Thelma Houston. The song is "Don't Leave Me This Way" from 1976. Now, I think mm. this is an important song for contributions from women in music, and I'll kind of explain why. Um. The song is actually a cover of a Harold Melvin and the Blue Note song. If you've listened to that, and Teddy Pendergrass does the vocals on that Harold Melvin version. And the Harold Melvin version is a little more of a melancholy song. Um, I think the Thelma, the Thelma Houston version is a much more aggressive version to it. It kind of emphasizes... Uh, uh, we, we talk about these themes where women are in breakups and relationships, but sometimes they're the victim, but sometimes they kind of take that, you know, they don't go down, go, they don't go lying down. And I think that's what this, mm. that's what this song uh, is about. Um, now this was supposed to be a Diana Ross song, um, but it didn't work out and it ended up going to Thelma Houston who was a relatively unknown. Um, mm. She ended up delivering a Grammy with this song. This was a Grammy, right. which was, again, it was significant. This was a disco song. Now you're seeing disco songs win Grammys, okay? Mm. And female artists winning a Grammy. This was, it was very significant. But then, fast forward to the 80s when the AIDS epidemic started coming. This became mm. an unofficial theme song associated with the AIDS epidemic. It was played a lot in some promotional stuff. And things like that. So I look at this song and I, I think it really had a lot of um, impact. You know, with women in music, but you just don't realize it. You know, getting a Grammy from the disco genre, becoming a huge hit, obviously on the charts, and then just kind of again going for like, you know, a lot of folks may not remember the AIDS, the AIDS epidemic. It was a mm. scary time for a lot of people back then. Uh, you know, we, I remember there was a Dave. There was a scare that mosquitoes would would transmit it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was yeah, it was some scary stuff at those those times. So, uh, but I think this song it was a beautiful song and. uh Thelma Houston mm. just knocks it out of the park with it. No, good pick. Yep. Good pick. I like yep. that one. I'm going. Now, I haven't talked a lot about this artist, which is my fault. But it's uh, Billie Holiday. Coop. Yeah. So yeah we're you, going. You have a couple here that would. Different we're going old. System. Yeah. Going yeah. old school here. You're, you're definitely good. Yeah. Uh, so Billie Holiday. I mean, we're talking what thirties? I think. Uh, 30, late twenties, thirties. Um, very bluesy in her jazz vocal style. Um, tough life of abuse and, 50, and drug. Thirty to fifty nine, yeah. Yeah, tough life of uh, abuse and drug addiction. 
Died young. Um, he died very young. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it's a hard life, but I think Billy Holiday, so I picked on the sunny side of the street. Just I wanted a bit of a, a deeper cut from her, I guess, because I seem to only talk about a couple songs of hers. But I want to kind of get deeper in the catalog for people. Um, and I think at the time, especially, and even now, she's probably one of the bravest artists out there, period, because she's singing about like strange fruit is about lynchings and it's in yeah. like the thirties. So it's, it's not like the most progressive time for her to be singing about that on stage. Um, so yeah, so a very brave artist, like I said, had a lot of struggles with, uh, addiction. It's probably closely related to her abuse as well in order to survive that, um, which is unfortunate. So, um, but no, but still, like I said, like all the women that I'm going to talk about that have experienced abuse are all survivors and that she's still putting out music, still getting her voice out there. Yeah. And it, even dealing with all this. And I think the other thing, Coop, with a lot of women artists, which is unfortunate for the industry as a whole, I think it's getting better. Um, but a lot of this abuse is coming from managers or male leads of bands, which we'll talk about. And they sort of... At the time, they're sort of like, well, you, you know, this is just how it goes for you. Try, you can't, you won't be able to find another manager. You won't be able to do this because they didn't have a lot of agency back then within the industry. Um, but I think that's changing now. But I think Billie Holiday, some other people were definite, um, were definite uh, victims of that, of this idea that, well, you know, who else are you going to get? You know, you need a manager. It's kind of like trapping them in a sense. But I think the industry is getting better with that. Um, I mean, not totally better because we saw what happened with Lily Allen and her. I mean, it was her family, but the managers kind of like running her into the ground. Um, so it's getting but it's getting getting a bit better, I think. But definitely Billie Holiday um, is is uh, a very important woman in, in music, in music history in general. Yep. You know, the connection with Diana Ross, right? Yeah. 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 yeah she played so uh, Diana Ross played Billie Holiday. In Lady mm. Sings the Blues, mm -hmm. was nominated for very the Academy Award. Yeah, she was very good in that, if I remember. She yeah, nominated for the Academy Award, but won the Golden Globe. I mean, it was it was a it was an epic performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, and it's a very good biopic that movie, uh, as well. Um, uh, yeah. So yeah, no, that's a that's a very interesting good pick. That was a good pick. We don't. I I I have a blind spot for these sort of like foundational artists that are yeah. sort of like thirties and yeah. And so I wanted to make sure to to bring her up. Absolutely. Where we're going. A bit later in yep. uh in the history. Yep. Going back in uh, the nineteen seventy seven. One of the great years of music. Um, Ooh. Uh, the the artist is Von Elliman, and the song is "If I Can't Have You." Um. This may be a borderline one-hit wonder. She has had her following. But if I asked anyone, can you name another Von Elliman song besides If I Can't Have You? They probably can't, right? So that's why I, I kind of categorize this. Um, She's from Hawaii. And her, this is a song from the Saturday Night Fever uh, album. Now, why did I pick this one, right? You know, she was, the, she was the female star on this album. Mm. There were no real female artists that had any... Any real, she's the one who had it here. She was mm. the shining star here. 
And it was that song, If I Can't Have You. Now, the irony of this is um, originally they wanted her to cover uh, How Deep Is Your Love, which is another BG song. And they ended up having the Tavares cover it, right? And that's because the producer, mm. Robert Stigwood, said uh, he just felt it wasn't the right fit and he was wanting her to cover this song. And uh, it became a monster hit. Like I said, it was one of the huge hits off the album. Uh, it was one of the songs played at the discotheque in um, in Brooklyn, um, uh, Odyssey, the 2000 Odyssey. Um, mm. And um, like I said, I think it was, like I said, I think I look at Saturday Night Fever. It's one of the great albums of, of all time. Um, and if we ever do 70s, I don't know if this will count, if we could draft oh, it. Oh, yeah. Because it's a soundtrack album, right? Um, and this was like I said, but this was the fifth song on the first side. That's how much I, I listened to this song over and over again. Uh, Von Elliman really didn't do much after this. Um, mm. she left the music business, uh, but would make a comeback album many, many years later. So, um, but I think her impact on that album is is key. So that's mm. why I picked it. I think a uh, woman on a very historic album. Nice. Yeah. It's a very we 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 really explore the seventies in your in your yeah I, and I and I do I have a lot of seventies this time but I I make Ooh. sure I, I have I have eighties nineties that's and, good though and two thousands yes so I did I did I that's I did try to spread it but but that's what ha- that's how this exercise evolved is I was going then I want to pick this artist because again a lot uh, of female artists got a really good opportunity during the disco era yeah no it's great De- yeah. I mean definitely when you think of disco it's some of yeah. the big names out of that a lot of that are women artists yeah yep but there are non disco songs I promise the disco haters out there hey no hey disco yep. it up we had you know, I have one I have another one that people hate but uh well, who brings coming. the disco I bring the country yep yep. Who brings a disco? I have uh, a sort of a country song, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for that. Uh, Tina Turner, Coop. We another artist we don't talk enough about. We don't talk enough about her. Yeah. Um. So I was like, I really need that Tina Turner. So Tina Turner. Um, the song I chose was "Acid Queen." Good song. It, good. It, oh, so good. Um, and we. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, it's very well known that I can Tina. Um. Oh, no. And you know, Ike is uh, um, an abusive jerk who really, in looking at it, never really took responsibility for what he, he never did. did. Never did, and he got you know he never did. It's the truth. Um, and I think they were trying to. It was near the end of his life, and they're trying to. By they, I mean people in the industry, not Tina. We're, we're like sort of pressuring Tina, like, oh, bring Ike back, do a tour or whatever. She's like, uh, no. Yeah. So good on her. Because um, he never, like I said, he never took responsibility. I mean, even near the end of his life, he's like, well, maybe I did some stuff, maybe. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big Ike Turner fan. Um, no, no, he's a, he's a clown. <laughs> They used to roast this guy on the New York uh, radio. Like, you know, they do those oh, morning shows the and they do these Ike, Ike Turner in jail, you know, Ike Turner getting kicked oh, out by T. They do all these skits. It was it was hysterical. And Ike was Ike deserved every bit of it, by the way. Yeah. So, yeah. So but out of that, Tina. So they get divorced, and separated or whatever. But out of that, Tina, as a very strong survivor that she is, that all these women are strong survivors of their abuse experience. Um, really put together probably one of the most dominating 80s pop runs of artists out there. Like, if you think of 
the 80s and Tina Turner, like she just dominated the decade. Oh, you know, really? I mean, really good. Uh, amazing uh, voice, amazing stage presence. Love her duet with Brian Adams. Oh, she's, I mean, she's got what? She's got, um, she's like private dancer. Like, there's so many great, yeah, tracks of hers. Um, I, I went a bit older just because I like some of the deep cuts, but, um, yeah, Tina Turner, man. She doesn't get enough enough respect, the old Tina. No, uh, and you, the the track you picked, uh, Acid Queen, it's one of her earlier ones. So this was before mm -hmm. the seventy the eighties run. Now yep. I was doing my prep for the show with this, and uh, this was very interesting because the producer of Acid Queen was well, Marcus Stigwood. All right, who just produced the track I talked about by Element. So mm. Robert Stigwood, and I did not know that until I was prepping, going through your songs for the show. I mean, as a queen to me sounds so it's like this weird. What I love about it, it's sort of this like combination of like yeah. funk, disco and pop. Like there's a lot of like everything in it, really. Yeah. It's a great and, track. And she was the acid queen in the movie, Tommy. Mm. Mm. She was the acid queen. Yeah. Oh, she's so good. Yeah. Uh. Next up, Cooper. Uh, what did I pick now? Okay. Uh, this was one. This was a track I remember my dad liked. Mm. Um, and I kind of got into this one because of there's a connection with a band that I like here. So I remember, I remember my dad like bringing this single home, and it was again, it was I think from that whole disco. It was Cheryl Lynn's "Got to Be Real." Mm. Um, which I thought was an interesting, again, another interesting story here because the story of her was the way they discovered her for the record company, which was Columbia Records under CBS. Uh, mm. She was on the gong show. Like, All right. So folks may not remember the gong show. You go, It was a talent show and you eat, you won prizes. But if you were terrible, they gong you. Right. Um, mm. And sometimes People would purposely get gonged, and sometimes people wouldn't purpose. But she did very well on there. So um, she was signed to CBS Records, and her and her first single was "Got to Be Real." Uh, it's a, it's again, it was a pretty big disco song. Uh, definitely was a dance floor song in 1978. Um, mm. Now I mentioned the connection to a band. I get the connection is Toto, right? Uh, mm. a, a gentleman by the name of David Page. Uh, he was a keyboard player for Toto. He played keyboards for her on um, "Got to Be Real," as well as Ray Parker Jr. played the guitar on that song. Um, now, all Toto, right. Toto was a band of studio musicians. So this wasn't right, but they asked her to come on their first album, and she did a song. So she's maybe not totally a one-hit wonder, but again, yeah, this song is well, popular. Yeah. She did Georgie Porgy for mm. Toto, so she's the female vocalist on Georgie Porgy. But again, if you ask me, if you ask anyone, can you name another Cheryl Lynn song besides "Got to Be Real"? Chances are they can't. So I'm gonna yeah. But again, I, I think this was kind of a key. I think this was again kind of a an opportunity. Again, kind of a woman getting an opportunity. It was kind of weird. The, I picked this one because again, I thought the Gong Show thing was kind of interesting. And, and mm. um, you know, like I said back then it was a talent pool. Like pe they will look, the record companies will yeah. look at people, and she was discovered on that. And she became a, she. The remainder of her career was mostly a session vocalist. After that, background vocals they bring her in mm. from time to time. But uh, but I I love the song. It's got the doom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good groove, groove to it, yeah. Uh, and you wouldn't think of someone from Toto doing a disco song. No, yeah. no. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I picked Sherilyn's "Got to Be Real" from 1978. That's a great track. Yeah, great track. Well, I mean, there's a reason these are yep. hits, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they're good. Yep.
um, I went I went sort of a left turn here, Coop. Mm-hmm. I have to say. Um, yes, you did. Now, I chose Meg White oh, from the Blacks, from the White Stripes. Good pick. And usually, like a lot, all these other people are like vocalists or like solo artists. Meg White is the drummer. And I think her drumming is underrated. I think her drumming is really what, I mean, I think her drumming was also pretty key to White Stripe's success. Um, other. Okay, so yep. So yeah, so I picked Meg White of the White Stripes. Um, the song I should say is in the Cold Cold Night because it's one where she does all the vocals. She does some vocals and background vocals and stuff, but uh, this is the one where she does all the vocals. Very underrated. It's the only non-vocalist I have on the list. I think it's um, important to have that though. Yeah. So as the drummer, um, usually to focus women artists that aren't vocalists to feature them. You have an all, all women band. Um, I mean, there's some exceptions um, like in the Pixies and in the Talking Heads and um, stuff like that. But generally speaking, it's an all women band. Um, but Meg White, great drummer. Uh, I, I was reading a Dave Grohl interview where he said, that she was one of his favorite drummers and a very underrated drummer. And I agree with that. Um, I'm interested to see what Seth thinks of Meg. Now, she's not like, she's not an extremely technical drummer. Uh, what I like about her drumming is it's that really sort of raw kind of like almost primitive. Like she really goes for it on the drums. And I think part of her style really helped that whole lo-fi movement as well. That kind of sprung up when the White Stripes did really well. Yep. So yeah, just shout shout outs to Meg White, man. Yep. In a, the cold, cold night. A uh, Hall of Fame nominated band, by the way, this year. Mm. Now the bad news is the White Stripes are not doing too well in the fan vote. No. They are third from the bottom. That's right. Yeah. I but mean, just, but the other yeah, thing is too, yeah. it's it's a it's a two piece band, so you can't really it's, hide. You can't really hide. I mean, but I think it was, a, I think it was, you know, I think it was a solid pick. I think this was a really good pick. You know, we we have focused a lot on vocalists. I know I did this time, um, but you know, there's certainly, uh, you know, you look at bands like the Go Go's where they they played all their own instruments and wrote their own songs. So, I mean, these, it's just as important. Yeah, I mean, usually in a band, if there's a, a a woman in it, they're usually the vocal. So you're thinking of like Blondie, um, Fleetwood Mac, uh stuff like that but um yeah but but you know just have a look out for the for the the instrumental players the yep. the the keyboardists yep. the guitarists the the drummers meg white man yeah i mean again Impression. you go back with uh christine mcvee with mm. fleetwood mm. mac what a she was the keyboards were her thing in that that mm. so she was a very good keyboard player yeah Yep, so, all right, so. so who do you who do you got up next, Coop? Um, all right, so I went a little different this time. There's a couple reasons why I picked this artist, and I'll talk about it. The artist is Alicia Bridges, and the song. Oh is, yeah, yeah. The song is "I Love the Nightlife," and it was also a 1978 mm. song. Big dance song, big hit in the discos. Now, two reasons why I picked this song. Um, number one is my mom loved this song. 
Um, my mom loved this song. And I remember she said something like, and I'm 10 years old and it's stuck in my mind. She thought she was going to be the next Phoebe Snow. Like, like that voice was kind of a look mm. in, the, in the lineup. And, and she really got into this song. I remember it. Um, but I also picked this song because Alicia Bridges is a Charlotte area native. Uh, Good on yeah, yeah, yeah. She hailed. Uh, she was born in uh, Cleveland County, which is west of Charlotte. Um, uh, and actually, it's very interesting. She, at age twelve, had a radio show in the in the in the city of Shelby, which is, it's it's a decent sized town. Um, so she at twelve, you know, she was she came up through the DJ actually ranks, but eventually went to, like a lot of people go in up to DJs. They get recording contracts. She went to Nashville, and she hooked up with someone from the name of Steve Buckingham, mm. and um. They wrote this song called Disco Round. And um, Steve Buckingham said he 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 thought the song was more than disco. And he didn't want to use this. He didn't want to pigeonhole this as disco around, but she wanted the disco round title. So the technical name of the song is I Love the Nightlife, parentheses, disco round. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, like I said, it was a big, big hit in in the the disco scene. I mean, this was a monster hit. She never really had another hit after this. In fact, she ended up going back to doing DJ work. Uh, but mm. she is in the North Carolina Music Hall of Fame, so she is a local for me. And I, I don't talk enough about North Carolina musicians enough. So I thought that this one, combined with the fact that uh, my mom liked this song, and combined with the fact again, it was a big impact on on the disco. Uh, in the disco scene so that that's gonna right. that's gonna close out the disco era though i'll tell you that I'm gonna, now i'm gonna go into some <laughs> other ones yeah no love the disco love it no yeah. it's great good song, good song too and her voice is like i said you listen to it you can you can hear a little bit of that she's in that phoebe snowman vibe for sure mm. yeah i'm gonna tap in the 70s to my next track coop okay i'm in the 70s i just ordered this record on vinyl me please Thank you very much. Final me, please. This was a good one. I like this one. This was a this was a good pick. <laughs> I have the Runaways with Dead End Justice. Yes. Uh, good pick. Came well, out in their debut record. Yeah, debut record seventy six. Um, of course, like the the Runaways was an all woman rock band, which especially in the seventies, Coop. That that's a rare thing. There's not a lot. I mean, there's not a whole lot of all women rock bands now. Yep. Like there weren't a whole lot going on in the 70s there, either. There, there aren't. I mean, it's like I said, you know, the Go-Go's did, you know, that was even kind of groundbreaking in the 80s. Yeah. The, mm. the, the, the bands that they had, they had, they had like uh, trios, you yeah. know, or quartets, you know, but they were vocalists. They weren't like bands. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the Runaways, I love the energy. It's raw. I love it. Of course. People know the Runaways because of Joan Jett, because um, she's amazing. But Dead End Justice is the track I chose. The reason for that is it's a bit deeper. You can kind of go to like the more well-known tracks, but um, Dead End Justice is a great song, and it's it's just so it's just great. Like I love the I love uh, the Runaways, and I got this record coming to me on vinyl, and I can't wait to play it. And and really, I think without Joan Jett and the Runaways, you don't get bands like Bikini Kill. You don't get that whole Riot Girl movement in the 90s, I don't think. No, no, you definitely don't have, not. No, definitely If not. you don't have bands like that. Oh, just like Joan Jett and the All Leather, just like oh, yeah. going for it. Yeah. Love it. Runaways, Coop. Good pick. 76. That was a really... 
By the way, you got to see what Trip thinks of that. Um, I did see Trip at the Great Smoke. By the way, I should have mentioned. Oh, we hung with him. Cool coming on. We got to sort that uh, out. Yeah, he's uh he's in for another punk show. So he yeah, likes the gonna... Runaways, surely. Yeah, so we have to bring up the Runaways when we're on. I don't think we talked about the Runaways when we did the punk show. Love the Runaways. Yeah. Um. So we're moving out of disco. What do we got here, Coop? All right. Ooh. The... <laughs> so this one's gonna make people. The people are gonna hate me for this one. Ah. Uh, Okay, the artist is Nicolette Larson. The song's "Lot of Love" from 1978. Um, it's not a disco song, right? But they tried to do some disco remixes, which weren't very good. Yeah, yeah. But this was a Neil Young <laughs> yeah. song. This was a yes. Neil Young song. Shout out to all the Neil Young fans who hate me out there, right? Shout or, or, out, or Neil Young you haters can... who like, yeah, the Neil Young haters are out there. Bring it to me. Yeah, to me. Yeah. Um. Now, the story is with this, Young recorded this song in 76. It was actually released uh, earlier before this one in 78. Um, and it was on an album released called Comes a Time. It was on his Comes a Time yeah. album. And the ironic thing is that Nicolette Larson was brought in as a background vocalist for that album where A Lot of mm. Love was on there, but she didn't do the background vocals on A Lot of Love. Right. Um, but she ended up recording this. Um and this is another one, kind of, again, I, I look at Neil Young's as more melancholy. Mm. And Larson's is really, I, I, I could just call it soft rock, yacht rock. I mean, it's kind of mm. one of these early yacht rock songs. Um, and uh, it was produced by Ted Templeman, who, legendary producer, one of uh, big things he did with Van Halen. But he, uh, but I think he really got the most out of Nicolette with this. And it, it's I also think this was kind of a song that we started seeing the women artists now start to hit the soft rock scene, which the soft yes. rock scene was starting to evolve in parallel in the, in the, in the late seventies, it started coming out. And yeah. Um, and I think this song was just a staple. You, you, when you hit his yacht rock countdowns, this song's always on there. It's got mm. this flute solo. I know that wasn't her who did the flute solo, but mm. it's beautiful flute solo. I mean, I just love it. Mm. Um, Tragically, she died on very young, uh, 1997. She had a cerebral edema uh, triggered by liver failure. So Damn. she died very. She died in her 40s, very young. Uh, Damn. Yeah, but she again. I don't think she had another hit after that. I think she again no. was more of a session artist. Like so if you ask me, I don't know if a lot of people can even name who sung a lot of love, but I think people know the song. And I yeah. think to the Neil Young haters, they know this version more than the Neil Young. Oh, haters. So yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Neil Young has had a history of really great women artists doing. He, he, he really, he really does. Yes, Linda really Ronstadt. Absolutely, he had. Um, this reminds me too, Coop. I don't have her on the list, but listening to this song and thinking about it before the show, it reminds me of Mary Clayton, who did backing yeah. vocals for Rolling, Rolling Stones, but then released her own record. Yeah. After that. Yep. Um, which is which is interesting. You get that sometimes backing vocal singers. Yeah, I mean, Linda Ronstadt is sort of different in that, like, she was an established artist anyway. But yeah, no, um, true, true. I picked. I think I picked Linda last on last year's show. Or the year yeah, you before. did. You did because yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. You could do a whole show on Linda Ronstadt's songs that aren't on her records. Yeah, <laughs> she does yep. so many back and forth. Yep. Um. Oh, great pick, Coop. I love it. I yep. love. I love tracks that have a history like that. I love it. Yep. Um, Dolly Parton Coop, you knew she was gonna be on here. Yeah, I mean that was a given. The question was where. <laughs> I actually, I actually picked. We will go one. I picked so Firecracker. I like, I like that you picked this one. 
Uh, uh, the reason is I usually go really deep into her catalog. Like we're talking 70s, like early, like pre nine to five. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to shake it up and go firecracker, which was released just what, like last year or something like that. Yeah. Made the top 50 uh, for jukebox for my list. Um, came out as part of her run Rose run record, which I think was part of like a movie of a TV, TV movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But what I love about it, she's back to the basics. It's a very bluegrass song. Um, and it's about standing up for yourself, not backing down, which is sort of themes throughout Dolly's music. Like Dolly herself does not identify herself as a feminist quote unquote, but she has a lot of very feminist themes around women's agency, uh, women taking control of their um, lives, uh, calling out men for violence and cheating on them. So this is sort of falls in that theme of self-determination and agency and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and I want to focus on something new to show that, well, she's still putting out meaningful music uh, even now. So there you go. Firecracker Coop. Good pick. I like that pick. I was like, it's a good track. It. It's a good track. I like it. I like it. Uh, your next one. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, I went with. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fast forwarding to 1985. We're kind of out of the disco era. These this was I a club this. song. This was a club song. Uh, it's the Mary Jane Girls in my house. Yes, love this song. So, if you don't know who the Mary Jane Girls are. It was a Rick James project, okay? Yes. So I like Rick was. James, okay? The guy's a nut job, mm. I know, but the guy <laughs> the guy was great in the funk scene. He was a like when he when he wasn't high, maybe when he was <laughs> high, he was a really good producer. Um um and this was like a lot of people this was actually their second album they did. Like, a lot of people think this was a debut. It wasn't the debut. It was actually their second album. Uh but this was a big project that Rick James uh did. And I'll kind of it, it's kind of an interest. So there's a lot of interesting things why I picked this song. First of all, I like the song, right? It's got a little bit of disco. It's got a little bit of funk. It's it, it's a cool song, right? But this became this became a very um, controversial song in the whole Parent Music Resource Center uh, oh, movement to, to ban uh, to ban music. And this song was put on the Filthy Fifteen. Like this was identified as the Filthy Fifteen. Um, and because they said it was all about sexual innuendo, the band denies it to this day <laughs> that this song was not about sex. It was about love. Uh, oh, okay. okay. And I can see I it. And that. I can see it. I'll I think, I, I, look, I, I, look, I think they went way overboard putting this song on the f- Filthy 15. I think they were going after <laughs> I think they were going after well, Rick James. I think they were going after Rick James here. You can uh, argue the Filthy 15 is just overboard in and yeah. of itself. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this band, right? Uh, uh, there was an all-girl band. And there were four members of the band. And I think they would be very controversial today because they each had like roles that may be considered oh, anti feminine. Like, like, well, a, 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 it's a Rick James band, man. Right. So they had uh, one of the uh, one. So they each had a different role. So Joanna McDuffie, she was the street girl. Okay. <laughs> Candy Grant was the supermodel. Uh, Yvette Marine was the cheerleader valley girl. And Maxie Waltick is was the dominatrix. 
So oh, I don't know uh, how to say would play today with those roles. Not uh, well. Not I don't well. Think. Not well. But I did want to mention that. Um, it, but it wasn't a contra. That wasn't the. Con- they, they're more known for the filthy fifteen controversy than than that part. So, yeah. uh, so Rick James. Uh, 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 what can I say? I I thought they were. You know, I I, I you, you could see the Rick James influence on them, but I thought they were really good. Uh, I've heard some of their other songs that aren't as popular. I thought they were a very good band. Oh, I just love that you have that on there. That well, is again. I think women in impact, past, positive or man. negative. Yeah, but uh, ah. yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> um, I'm keeping country coop. I talked a little bit about this track. I think on my uh the next two tracks actually yep. on my um International Women's Day feature on the website and that's loretta lynn with the song the pill Ooh. released in the 70s and you gotta be let's just say coop that country music isn't the most progressive genre of music <laughs> shall we say um but this dolly is part yeah dolly parton has had songs banned from radio play on country stations because she talks about like having a child out of wedlock and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this is a song released in the 70s all about, as you would guess, the pill. Uh, and not just that, but about contraception and how women now have agency over their bodies, agency over their lives and sexuality, which is like, I mean, this song would be progressive now, this, let alone and when in she the came 70s. Out, think about when she came out with this song. Oh. Right in the, like, right in the whole... This is when it yeah. began, yeah. Right around, I have to look at the exact date, but it'd be right either right around Roe v. Wade or sort of like around there. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't late seventies, um, and it's just amazing. It's about the song itself is about these women who now have the pill, and they're like, "Well, you can't just use me as a breeder for your children because now I got the pill." And then one woman's like, "I don't have to like." Um, stay at home now and you make me stay at home with the kids because now I got the pill. And it's all this about like, hey, and if I want to hook up with you after dinner, I could do that because now I got the pill. It's a great song. Um, and like I said, I think I don't think Loretta Lynn is known. 75 it came out. So it was a little after. Yeah, so that's Wade. around there. Yeah, it was after. It, well, the controversy was already there. It was after. But, yeah. But it was it was still around. I mean. Yeah. And I think the thing about it is like Loretta Loretta Lynn is more known for like coal miner's daughter, Fist City, yep. that sort of thing. And she's really known for this really progressive sort of ultra feminist. Yep. I mean, there's no other way, way to read the song. Um, and I love it. And I think it's a part of Loretta Lynn's cata- catalog because I think Dolly gets a lot of. And for good reason, a lot of like early feminist themes way to go, you know, and I think Loretta Lynn gets overshadowed, even though she has songs like The Pill that she released, which is a very brave song to release. And doesn't pull any punch punches at all. There's no like, there's no like subtext in this song. It is all pretty overt. So I love it, and I love the song, and I love Loretta Lynn, and so gotta celebrate the song. It's a good pick. Again, you look it's at it, such... impact. Yeah, very good pick. You listen to that song, Coop, and you're like, this came out in the '70s. The song. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. 
Loretta Lynn. And Loretta Lynn to, to go back to uh I'm Babel Glebin on my list. I just looked. To to white to to go back to white stripes, Loretta Lynn, she um recorded a record at uh at uh, Third Man. So bit of connection there. So there you go, Coop. You got you got it. You snuck an extra. You did a John Hubert. John Hubert always do that. No, Guess I think DJ. you have I think you have nine. Let me count. I can come up with another one. Let you me look. Mi- yeah, you, you do your you, next song, and I'll count. No, you you missed one. You skipped one. Yeah, you skipped one. You have. 10. Oh no, I got ten. I might not have had one on there. I got one. I got another one. No, you had uh, you had uh, one of your, the you had look above Dolly Parton, in your notes. Oh, I missed that one. I'll do yeah. that. I just I, missed saying it. Yeah, that's what you missed. So you did have ten. Okay. Okay. I yeah. just missed you, saying it. You just missed saying it. Yeah. I, kinda, but, I, yeah. I checked it off too early. Okay. Yeah. No Thank problem. You. No problem. No, Go ahead. it's all good. I, okay. So I don't, I didn't do eleven. I was all too right. excited for Dolly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next one, I don't know why I picked this song, but I'll tell the story behind it. Uh, the artist is someone by the name of Robin S. Not Robin, who we talked about. Yep. yep, yep. Yes. Right? Uh, the show's the song's called "Show Me Love," and it was mm. it was a song that came out in '90, and then it was kind of remixed in '93. But here's here's where I first heard this song, and I kind of got I don't know why I like it, but I so. In New York, when you'd go to um, Madison Square Garden for a sports event, like the Rangers or the Knicks, right? Uh, they yep. had this great sports bar there called the Play by Play. And oh, nice uh, name. and I I went to a Knicks game. I went to a Knicks game, and after the game, uh, I went to the Play by Play. And one of the uh, radio personalities in New York, Mike Francesa from Mike and the Mad Dog, he would do a live show there. Um, it was kind of a tonight's tonight show still. Did he? Okay. Yeah, it was kind of tonight show style he'd have on guests and musical guests and he had robin s on and she did this song uh show me love and it was like this is a great song and it was kind of ironic because it started getting a lot of airplay afterwards it became a pretty good hit um it's a good example of like 90s post disco it's got a little more of an electronic feel to it um i would say it's a you know, r&b-ish it's pop-ish it's or you know a little electronic um and the, the interesting thing about this, like I said, I just put it on it because I like the song. Yeah. Um, like the, the story of this was really interesting. As she was recording it, she really went through a coarseness in the flu, like during the whole oh, no. session. It took a long time to kind of get the vocals down. Um, you wouldn't know it, is what I'm just saying. But um, it, this was like, I think, you know, this was a true one hit wonder. And, you know, a lot of times there was songs in New York that kind of got a lot of radio airplay. I don't know how much this song got outside it, but it, yeah. apparently I did see it on one hit wonder list. So and I always liked the song. Uh, so Robin S., who never did anything else after that, Show Me Love, uh, really good song. Uh, if you haven't heard it, uh, go check it out is what I'm going to say. Now. Nice. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, there's you have there are songs like that, aren't there? You're like, I like this song, but I don't know why I like this song. <laughs> I just saw, I, when I heard it live, I'm like it was it was she did it live, right? So it wasn't like she was lip syncing mm-hmm. it. And uh, yeah, I just remember we were all getting into it. Like this is like she did one like they only you know they only did one song. It was kind of like they're doing the Tonight Show. It was cool. It was and it was a great it was it was a great setting after the game. You, you, you lucky I was staying in New York City that night because I would have got home like four in the morning otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll go back to the one I missed. How can you miss this one, Dave? I don't know. I was just too <laughs> excited for I was I was too excited for Dolly. Yeah, you get you jumped to Dolly. And... I jumped to Dolly, and then yeah. I just kept going. So Rihanna, with uh, consideration, which is yeah. 
a track off of her last studio release, which is Anti. Yep. Uh, and I've been big into listening to the record Anti, which is probably why I picked this. So Rihanna, as you all know, since she's put out singles now and done Super Bowl and all that, um, is one of the biggest selling women artists of all time, only behind Madonna, um, who is the the, the biggest women yep. se- uh, seller of all time. So like above Taylor Swift, above Beyonce. Now Taylor Swift and Beyonce are starting to really crush. So they may, they they may cool. jump yeah. her if she doesn't put out another record this year. Um, but I love Consideration. Um, it features another wonderful woman in music, which is SZA. Is also on that. This would have been like at the early stages of her career. And SZA's put out two or three albums since then. Um, but no, just I love this track. It's got a great beat to it. I just love Rihanna a lot. And she's highly influential. I mean, anytime you can take six years off. Yep. And you come back with two singles in the Super Bowl show and all of them just explode. Yeah. Like you got you still got it, I think. Yep, I um, agree. So I, I, I totally I'm, agree. Do you think he passes Madonna or do you think these other artists pass her and Madonna? I think I think she's going to need to get an album out to do I it. I think Beyonce can pass them both. I agree. Just because, so Madonna roughly, and I don't know how they count this. It's all weird. But Madonna roughly is at like 360 million, roughly. Uh-huh. And I think, I think Rihanna's at like 280. And I think Beyonce's at like 250. And, and Taylor Swift is fairly close. And why I think Beyonce will pass her is I think Beyonce is more is is a bigger artist than Taylor Swift is. Sorry, Swifties. Um, and she's still putting out music. Like Madonna's still like Madonna doesn't have many records left in her, whereas Beyonce probably has another like three at least. So you think that out of that she would get another 150 million in sales or so. Um. So you could see you could see Beyonce looking at like four hundred million or something by the time it's all done. Yeah, maybe even more, maybe four fifty. Uh, Rihanna needs to come out with a record, I believe. I think Rihanna yeah. could, but she'd have to come out with a record, maybe two. Yeah, because Beyonce is going to put out a bunch of more music. I, I would agree. I definitely agree with you on both of those. Uh, whereas Madonna, like I said, she, she might still be putting out stuff, but it's not as it doesn't sell as much. Um, you know, like she's sort of near the end of her career, where, whereas Beyonce might be at the the peak of hers. Like I don't think she's, you know, like the last the last album sold crazy. So oh, definitely, yeah. So I think I think that Beyonce will pass both of them, Rihanna and and uh, uh, Madonna. It's not it's not bad company, I'll tell you. No, it's a very high artist on there. But I don't know how much more. I don't know if Madonna gets the four hundred at this point. No, I mean it'd be a lot of people buying her old stuff, wouldn't yeah. it be? I mean, really. You know, um, I think she'll need. I think she'll need like one of her old songs to kind of get a second life. If she, she could re-release that. a record, maybe. Yeah. Or get it into uh, a film or something like that. It's usually the way yeah. to do it. Yep. Oh, I, I'm excited for this. Yeah. I saw this and I was very excited because this is an artist that is I really enjoy. I heard this song and I said this song's winning the Grammy. The first mm. time I heard it. 
Uh, the artist is Sean Colvin. Song mm. Sunny Came Home. Again, I'm going to put mm. her in the one-hit wonder. Mm. Um, so this is the interesting thing about this. There's a lot of interesting stories about this song. But it's a folk rock song is where I would put it. And Sean Colvin did this kind of, I think, as the folk rock movement came to an end in the 90s. Mm. Like, it really, I think in the, it started in the late 80s, like Suzanne Vega, Edie Brickell. And that type of stuff. But I think by this point, which is a 1997 track, it, we were at the end of that kind of run. This is, this is sort of... I'm sorry to interrupt. No, they're fine. Um, this is sort of... I would characterize it as the... 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 the right after, kind of the fall, right after the peak of, like, the Lilith Fair yeah. sort of yeah. movement. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yep. I mean... Cheryl Crow had already come on the scene like a few years earlier, but I I agree. Yeah, yeah I think that's a perfect thing. Um, so I think Lilith that that whole Lilith Fair movement was sort of like ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, kind yep. of coming down in ninety seven. Yeah. Right, right. So this was like ninety seven. It won the Grammy, I think, with the ninety eight awards. When it won it, um, really interesting story behind this. Um, so that he was doing an album called A Few Small Repairs. And she wanted, and yeah. she asked one of her friends, uh, her name was Julie Speed, to do a painting for, do some artwork for the album cover. And she does this album cover uh, where it has this uh, woman on there, and there's a lip match. And in the background, you see this like burning flames, right? And she decides she mm -hmm. wants to use that for the album cover. But she then decides to write a story or a song behind it, which was Sunny Came Home, which is a song about kind of a woman coming back like with a vengeance with arson and all that. Right. Um, and she does this, right. And it, that song, I think that song again was kind of a powerful message that was sent um, with that. So she sent a very powerful message. The song is incredible. I mean, it, mm. it was, it dominated the Grammy. It won record of the year, it won song of the year. There was no other song that should have gotten it that year. This was the, the best track of the year. And uh, I am shocked that Sean Colvin did not be like go on to, for bigger things, because that yes. is, th that album is all the other songs in there. This is the standout song, but it, it's kind of interesting that this wasn't even planned on that. She just decided to add that after she got a cover mm. for the uh, for the other album. And here's the other thing: she found a, the album was called "A Few Small Repairs." She found mm. a way to get that into uh, the song, the lyrics. Nice. So, yeah. So it's a good song. Uh, like I said, it, I think this is a great a woman artist in the late nineties who just really kind of had some dominance. She just dominated the Grammy. It was, it was that good a song. When you listen mm. to the lyrics of it, it's amazing. It's a great story there. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that you picked that. I love that. Oh, that song. <clears throat> it's sort oh, yeah. of, to put it in perspective, I mean, most of our listeners were probably around listening to music at this time, but to put it in perspective for people who may not have been, if you think of like the boom in women in hip hop now, right. So by now, I mean, probably last like five years. That was sort of this time for women in kind of like folk and acoustic. Because um, Lilith Fair ran from 97 to 99. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously you had the wave of artists before them just to get to a Lilith Fair. Yeah. So you had yeah. your Sarah McLaughlin's. You had, well, you had everybody. You had Jewel then. You had um, like, yeah, Sean Colvin. You had uh, well, Tracy Bonham. Yeah. You had Dar Williams, Patty Griffin, like you had all of these amazing artists. So this was a huge boom for women in music, especially like the singer songwriter 
thing, which will run kind of from a little bit before here, like we were talking about, kind of like your 95, 96, when these artists started to get established, kind of peaking around now and then like into like 99, 2000 with Lilith Fair and stuff yeah. like that. Yep. So it's a it's a great time in music. So uh, thanks for doing that, Coops. I didn't have anybody from that era. Yeah, I tried. That's... I tried to. I I know I had a heavy seventy slant with this. So I had a. Move I mean, we could do a whole little fair show like the artists and stuff in that were just nuts. And if if you like, if you're into women singer songwriter music, um, which why wouldn't you be? Those little fair records are really good. Yeah. Um, because yeah. they're great live recordings. Like the recordings themselves are good. Like, um production wise and they have side stages and main stages and yeah. check it out. And I think that also led to VH1 Divas, which started after this. It was VH1 mm. Divas was late ninety. That wasn't really little fair, but it was it was showcasing female artists, but then they put Elton John in there, which I didn't understand. And what is going on there? I don't know how that works. <laughs> they, um, they just said he was a diva. I don't know. Sure. Get in there. <laughs> I didn't understand that one, but but that was that showcased a lot of great women music too. Now my last one. I wrote about this. She performed this song this good at book. the Grammys during the 50th of hip-hop, uh, 50th anniversary. Um, and it kind of brings in, we're talking about women in music also have this like history of abuse, usually by managers or, or partners. Um, and it kind of comes together in this Queen Latifah song U-N-I-T-Y, which is uh, all about respecting women, calling out men's violence. It's a very sort of intersectional song in the sense that it's not just calling out men's violence to women generally, but especially looking at the role of race and like really praising black women and like calling out like black men specifically in the song um, about treating women with respect and standing up for yourself and not needing to put up with that. Um, it's a great song, and you don't get that a lot of hip hop, especially at this time. Um, it's really going up against sort of when you're looking at your NWAs and Snoop Dogg and stuff like that. Yeah, it's really going up against those more misogynist uh, themes. It's really, and it was a huge track for her too, which is great to see. Um, which we've seen in music before, like the the example I think of is Marvin Gaye, um, putting out. What's going on? Calling out the war, calling out inequality. Barry Gordy, like, oh, this isn't going to sell. It's too socially, too too much social activism, and it like is the highest selling record in Motown history. Um, similar here, like you think on the face of it, like, oh, you know, you're calling out men at a time where it's a high, like, hip hop especially is very uh, patriarchal. No one's going to buy this record, and it's huge. Um, and it puts Queen Latifah really on the map to become a, a, a leading voice in hip hop, not just for women, but in general. So, yeah. So you and I, T.Y., man, it's a great song. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, don't, you know, probably think of Queen Latifah. They look at her as more of an all around entertainer, though. Mm hmm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like she, she did, did movies and TV. And yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, she has a she has a uh, Grammy and Emmy Award, a Golden Globe Award. And she also has a uh, Academy Award nomination. So. She's had a that's a very successful career she's had. Um and I think sometimes the music stuff gets lost with the other stuff she's done. Music stuff's so good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, just wanted and, to wanted to give a shout out a, to the queen. And a producer too. She's been yeah. Very, yeah. Very talented. Yeah, I agree. Now this one Coop is near and dear to my heart. 
Right. So this is the one that I think is not really a one hit wonder if in your world, but I think in the US it is. No, I, I would say though, to your point really quick before you go in there, they're not a one hit wonder, but they'd be more like a three hit wonder. Like yeah. they put out some big records, but they weren't that long lasting. Yeah. I agree. Um but, but I go yeah. ahead, yeah. But yeah, I agree. She's they had so um I just got distracted here. Um the um the band is the Veronicas. Mm-hmm. And the song is untouched. Uh so the the un, the Veronicas are a they're a, a duet of twin sisters, identical twins. Yep. Uh Lisa and Jessica Orglasio. Um and uh Untouched is like I said, they're popular in Australia. Untouched did make its way into the US here. So I think if you Okay. But the song I love the song. Uh it's it's got this orchestral sound. It's got a little bit of mm. 80s vibe and it's got like modern mm. 2000 vibe in it, right? It's a great song and it's a very very catchy song. You'll play it and you'll just play it over and over again. Um now the interesting thing about this is um the name comes from uh they the name is I guess is ties to Archie, the Archie's comic strip. Mm-hmm. And they got sued. And uh, oh, so they got what? sued over this, right? And they negotiated a settlement, though, to kind of keep the name. And uh, what they agreed to do, they agreed to be in an Archie's comic, uh, some Archie oh, comics. And in nice. return, they provided a free download also of okay. their music. So it was a great cross-promotional thing, um, which I didn't know. Th- I didn't know that until I was doing the research for this. So I didn't no, know I didn't know that either. But I love this song. I mean, it's just like it's edgy. It's a it's a. It's just really a great catchy song. I'm surprised that they haven't had more success in the states. I really mm. am. They they seem like they could easily have been. I don't know if they've left the states a lot or anything like that, but they definitely. I mean, they're Brisbane, right? They're from Brisbane, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they're they're local for you. I've yes. seen interviews. I watched a couple of interviews, and they were in uh, they were in downtown Brisbane and stuff like that, talking about their home city. So they better. So, yeah. It, I don't know, Coop. I mean, if you look at the history of Australian music, I don't know why, but it's been very hard for certain groups to break through in the U.S. market. The U.S. market seems to be a tough market. It's very hard. I mean, In Excess took forever to get into the U.S. market. I mean, it took even Men at Work. It was just that record. I mean, even just... even uh, Midnight Oil, which um, we talked about on the draft show, it was just that, that track or so. Yeah, and Air Supply was a very short run of hits in the U.S. And, I mean... Uh, and then they kind of just became more of a touring band in the U.S. afterwards. I mean, Kylie got big, but she got big in Europe first. And then sort big. of, yeah. Yeah, Kylie's huge in Europe. Um, I would agree. Yeah, there's, um, but yeah, it is hard. Um, It just seems like it's hard. And then when they come, they don't have a long track record of success. No, no. Uh, like Kylie had success. Kylie would be. Young. But then it, maybe she had success in the late 80s. And it was not really until uh, 2000 when she yeah until she got more of the club right became more like a club dance yeah yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't get you out of my head was a monster yes. that was the yes. fever album which was I'm a huge cut I mean we should they should I mean the other thing the Australian artists have really struggled to get in the Hall of Fame and that's a shame because yep. I I look at Kylie I would look at all these bands that we mentioned are potential Hall of Fame bands and it's I mean even even Bee Gees right but like. The Bee Gees. Were they more English by then, or 
they were kind of split. Yeah, the Bee Gees, but even the Bee Gees had it was they had two short windows, one in the late seventies, yeah. one in the late seventies, one in the late sixties, early seventies. It was it was there were shorter windows of success. They just had. Yeah. I mean, if you if they didn't have Saturday Night Fever, where would the Bee Gees be ranked? Is the question? Yeah, that's so, that's true. Yeah, but I love, no, I love I love this I love this band. Love the Aussie uh, Pride yeah. band. Yeah, uh, one of the sisters got married. The other one's now engaged. I heard so good for them. Good, good they're on them. Late, yeah, they haven't put out music yeah. in a while. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um. So Coop, any any final thoughts? Yeah, you know, it was interesting going down this type of road this time with the music. Um, and I was just again, I, you know, you look at even maybe they're not the biggest hit artists, but they had impacts in different ways. And, uh, you know, I think it's really, yeah. you know, it's good to kind of sometimes explore some of these, you know, artists, you know, for what they've accomplished. Um, and, you know, like I said, there's no shortage of, of you know, women in music now, I think it's really taken off since the last 20 years. Yeah. Too, yes. Yeah. Where, you know, back when a lot of stuff we were covering, it was still very much a struggle for a lot of mm. women to, to kind of, you know, you know, Diana Ross had that success, right? But then it really wasn't until Madonna came along, I would say. Oh. Linda Ronstadt had her 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 part of success too. But Madonna kind yeah. of like that's what Madonna took into the stratosphere. And I think Madonna paved the way for the oh, um, yeah. a lot of these others. And Dolly's kind of always been out there, but I'm not you know, Dolly, I think a lot of Dolly's successes when she started crossing over and doing some films mm. and stuff, I think that's what really made mm. people pay more attention to Dolly at that point. Mm. I mean, I, that's a great point, and I think like with Madonna, I think she, they all these women like yeah. that we talked about, like Aretha and Runaways, and they were all like paving the way. But Madonna really kicked the door down, yeah. and then that whole like Madonna, Whitney, like that whole sort of era, Cindy Lauper, like they really sort that yeah. pop just really, really kicked the door down for women artists to really excel in a lot of different genres because then pretty soon after that you had the riot girl thing um and then women in hip-hop now so really all genres uh are are getting better representation yeah um, metal and rock is still a bit lagging but metal i almost picked a metal a met, i almost picked lita ford for something i just didn't think he yeah was that's oh, why ford man yeah. this fair too i should have yeah. picked her yeah. anyway yeah you're that's for the next show yeah no exactly i mean by the way, Cindy Lauper is second in the Rock Hall votes right now behind George Michael. As well, she's, she should she be. Is, yeah, she's, but she's way ahead of Kate Bush and Cheryl Crow. Okay. And Missy Elliott's not doing well. Missy, but, why? Well, Missy. I think this is the like the fan vote. Oh, is are, it the? It's the Rolling Stone, yeah. Which, yeah. So, I, like last year, remember the top five got in? I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Right now, the top five is George Michael, Cindy Lauper, Warren Zevon. Iron Maiden and Soundgarden. I don't think all five no. of them are going to get in. No. I think one of I these agree. other ones will get in. I still I think Kate Bush is going to get in this year. I agree Kate, with you. Kate Bush is in ace place, so she's not doing bad. Should we get into new music, my Let's friend? Talk about, you want to talk about what we're smoking first? Or oh, yeah. Get... Let, look at that. Look how much cigar I got left. Let me see that. Um, wow. look, look at that. Yeah, you got now, it, it, that's And that's interesting that you've only gotten that far down. Now I gotta admit something to the to the listeners. Smoking a Lancero and doing a podcast is not the best way to smoke a Lancero. No. 
Uh, you have to be a bit diligent with the Lancero. Um, so I've had to relight it a couple times, but it's not because of the cigar. It's because I'm no. talking and it's, a, yep. you know. I have to say, though, whatever wrapper, the wrapper is held up really well. And Candela is notorious for being fragile. Yeah. So the wrapper, they got a good wrapper. It's, it, it's, I mean, I'm trying to think, compare it to the other wasabis. Um, I think it's really well balanced. You get, you get a bit of that wasabi hit. Right now, it's more just cream and smoothed out. Right. The candela smooths it out. Yeah, you get a little of that spice up front. Yep. The, the candela smooths it out. You're not going to get as much candela note as you would with their, like, Toros and stuff. That's what, that's what my observation was with that. But what it does is sort of what it does in the Swamp Rat, I, I think, is that it's it 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 complements the brand and smooths it all out to be a really like more nuanced blend than like a really hit you in the face. Um, so you, even though you don't get that candela grassiness, you get what it does is it really enhances the sort of creaminess of the blend and acts as a good sort of subtle subtle note. Um, so no, it's great. I love it. Yeah, no, I think they did a. I think Hector did a good job with that. Um, I like all like there's three sizes. They have the the box press robusto, yep. Um, which was the original, and then they did the Corona, which I think gets a lot of overshadow, as well. But I I didn't know what to expect from this Lancero. I haven't been a fan of a. a I liked. Uh, I didn't like Oscar's Lancero with the barber pole, mm. as much as the original. But uh, you know, Dion does the the uh, HL. Would lose the only, but I think this is a solid Lancero. I thought I, it's one I would smoke again. I'd buy it and smoke it again. Um, it's really Hector did a nice job with that cigar. I think what I love about it is that even though it's a wasabi, right? Like you could smoke this and the robusto and get two totally different experiences. Yep. I think. Yep. Which makes it a really good line because you could have two different sizes in the same line, and it's like smoking two totally different cigars, and they're yeah. both really good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. My feelings on that. Um, it's a nice, uh, it really is nice. Uh, and like I said, I had it down when I was in Florida last month. Uh, Hector gave it to me. Excellent and construction. Excellent construction. You know, it doesn't get like, it doesn't, the combustion was very good in that. Now you may have a little tougher time with the combustion smoking this outside and doing a show, but yeah. I did have it indoors and I felt it was really good combustion. It didn't get like, like the Oscar one. I didn't think had great combustion was the problem. No. I mean, I think if I smoked this, not doing a show. Just like to enjoy it, it'd probably be a little bit different because you, you, you I wouldn't have would. the yeah. Because I put it down to talk about stuff, you know, and that's yeah. my that's my thing. Yeah, same, it's, it's not the, same... the cigar's fault. Yeah, yep. How's yours, Cooper? Uh, I'm smoking the 20th anniversary uh, Perdomo uh, Maduro in the Epicure. Great cigar. This is a this is a cigar. It's it's so consistent. Um, you're going to get those cocoa notes. You're going to get some of those coffee notes. You're going to get some earthy notes. The spice is interesting on this cigar. Um, okay. Because you wouldn't think of it like Perdomo spice is pretty straightforward. It's it's more of a peppermint. Yes. This is kind of more of like an Asian spice I'm getting off of this thing. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's it's kind of like an Asian spice it's reminding me of. Not quite wasabi, but uh, you know, some of those exotic type of spices you may get off of it. Uh, and it's, it's solid. I mean, I just, I've, I've been smoking these for 10 years. Um, and it's a great cigar. Um, I love this Toro size. I think it just works perfect with this. Um, he's got this is good in the Connecticut. I didn't have a Connecticut with me, but the Connecticut 20th is great. Mm. 
uh, as well as the Sungrown. The Sungrown is one they did the firecracker off of. So, ooh, great. Should we get into our uh, cigar hustler as I promote the cutter again? Yep. Our, so, our cigar hustler. Yep. New so, music forty five. Yeah, sponsored by Cigar Hustler, located in Deltona, Florida. Uh, we, we unfortunately Ben and I could not get there this time to meet Mike, but uh, we uh, we will definitely be getting there next time. It's a uh, great store, great humidor, great lounge, great customer service. Um, can't say enough about that. Um, as always, you want to get on their uh, like you want to go to a website, cigarhustler.com, and get on their email list. Um, also follow them on social media is what I'm also seeing uh, because they drop yes. a lot of their limiteds uh, sometimes through the email, but I'm seeing some lately through social media. So you he, want to follow he teases them. a lot on. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. I was gonna say teases a lot on Insta. Yep. Him and, him and, uh, and him and uh, Skip do that a yep, lot. Yep. Yeah. Um. But they tease when they're dropping stuff into the store yes. too. So yep. or not even tease. They they they'll put when they're dropping. I saw something today. I can't remember what it was. Um. But yeah. So they, you definitely want to get on their email list and follow them on social. I would do both. I'm gonna start saying that now because, uh, like I said, they. Uh, oh, another cigar. I guess is the fifty fives. So. That's the other thing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so I have those for you as well. So now I'm remembering the stuff I have to send you. Uh, but uh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to make a... Uh, I broke down Coop and smoked that Postania, Connecticut. Um, yep. Looked like looked like a Corona. Um, I think the one I got for you is a, like a short a Robusto, more Robusto size. I'm excited for that because I in having that, I liked it, but I think... The more wrapper you get with that, the better it's going to be, I think. It's sort yeah. of my feeling. It was very different than Skip's. Like, would yes. you agree? Yeah, it was It was not yeah. the same as an, as an Intemperance EC. So I don't no. think that's what they were going for with that. But I like it. But I was smoking it, and, I was, and as I was smoking it, I'm like, oh, I wish there was more wrapper. Yeah. So I think the bigger sizes I'm really going to like a lot. Yeah, I think the one I got for you is a Robusto. But I know I they're think, doing a Corona. They're yeah. doing a Corona in it too. Because I think it's sort of like with this, right? Like the Candela smooths out the blend. I think it's the same thing with the Corona I had, and I didn't get an, enough of that like buttery note that you're looking for in like the Connecticut wrapper. It doesn't have that. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't have that. Yes. So I think. If they made it, if they like anything, like even if they put out a Toro, say they put out a Toro that's in like a fifty-four or something, yeah, I think it'll just get. I think it'll be like better the bigger ring gauges, if that makes sense. Yep. Like the more wrapper you get. Yeah. But uh, how, new how music. Would, how do you think before you do that? How do you think strength wise it did? I thought it was. Uh, I got. I think it. I think it was pretty strong. It seemed like it was more medium. It seemed like it was in the medium. For Connecticut, it seemed on the stronger side. Oh, Connecticut, yeah. I think that's the other thing, though, too, right? It's like when I go into a Candela, and I know it's hard not to do this, but you sort of have a mental picture of what you expect the strength to be. Yep. And so when I have a Connecticut, like, oh, this is going to be a bit mild, you're kind of already thinking that. So when it's even medium, it feels stronger than it is, if that makes sense. Yeah. For me, anyway. Agree. But I don't think like the one Connecticut I didn't like was that my father one where it was like a total mismatch. You know, it's not that. Okay, and I I have had that reaction every time with the my father Connecticut. Yep. However, when I was down at at Pearl Sabor, we got one of those, 
Mm. And it smoked really good. I was like, I don't know if it's something the difference. They I don't tweaked they, the blend, maybe. Or? I don't know if they tweaked it, but sometimes you know, Eric Espinosa will say cigars will smoke different in Nicaragua mm. than in the U.S. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, so I'm just yeah, but I was surprised. I like, I actually smoked the whole thing down. Normally, I, I have not liked that my father Connecticut at all. No, I think that I think in the Postania one, at least the one I had, the the wrapper and the blend complement each other really well. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like a Agreed. what are you doing here? Agree. New music. So it's all women for the women's show today. Yep. So we got Glorilla and Cardi B. Glorilla. So Glorilla, Glorilla is Memphis's own Glorilla. Thank you very much. Um, she's sort of upholding the tradition of Memphis hip hop that goes back to like Gangsta Boo, who we yep. talked about, who passed away. Yep. Um, she even did a song with Gangsta Boo, uh, but she sort of has been blowing up like over the last year. Um, and she does a track with Cardi B. It's what you think a track with Cardi B and Glow's gonna be, which is a very hard hitting, sexy song. Um, and it's a, it's a really good song, but it, it's I, I love it. But you know what you're gonna get. I mean, Cardi B did did WAP or whatever. Like you know what you're getting. Um, and it's really good. It's a really good song. Glorilla, like I said, she's only getting bigger and bigger. So if you want to sort of see what all the buzz is about, check that out. Um, and it's Tomorrow 2 is the name of the track. I don't know if it's part of a, it's part of an album, but they're releasing it as a single as well. So she has an album out now, um, but it's a, it's a good song. And this one I just found, like just searching around, it's Caroline Polacek. Uh, Bunny is a Writer is the track. It's off of her record Desire, which I've sort of seen a little bit of buzz on. So I checked it out. Um. The the off the the record is desire. I want to turn to you is the record. It's I think you might like it, Coop. It's it's very electro pop, a very sort of textured song, like a lot of like textures going on, and, and it's really catchy. It's like surprisingly catchy. Wow. Um, so check it out. It's Caroline Polachek. Is is the artist? And for our mycology homework, just the Runaways, man. Go listen to the Runaways, the, their debut record, self-titled. Um, it's just an amazing rock record. Joan Jett just giving it. So check that record out. Wow, that's a good one. I knew you were picked. I knew you were picked though, the Runaways. <laughs> they're so good. I, I don't think as a band, I don't think they were that long lived. They might have put out two records or something. I don't think they were that long before Joan Jett did her own thing. But they're 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 very have a very big place in uh, music history, The Runaways. A great name for a band, too. Yeah, I love that name. I love it. Did we... Were we doing a show where someone picked a Runaways song or a Joan Jett song? I Joan Jett, I think. I don't know if it was a Runaways song. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it came up during the trip show. That's why. I'd have to go back and look in the archives. Someone picked a Runaways song. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And that's all. That's all I got, Coop, for this show, man. All I'm right, out. no, I'm done. so I'm uh, great, great job as always. Always fun uh, paying homage mm. to the ladies of music. Oh, um, great show. Yep. So uh, thanks, Dave. Again, thanks to our audience for tuning in. Uh, thanks. Uh, by the way, thanks for all the support on the uh, the dedication show and everything. We're getting some feedback on that already. So uh, mm. and stay tuned. Battle of the bands will be debuting uh, after the show airs the next day. Ooh, so get on and vote. Ooh. Don't complain. When your artists don't win. 
Uh, and like I said, we'll post the prizes and everything up. Uh, you she says the prizes should already be posted by the time this show airs. So mm. I'll have the photos up and everything. So yep, thanks, Dave. That's gonna wrap up primetime jukebox into the annals of history for this March 2023 episode 93. We'll catch everybody. Stay tuned to our social media for the next show. Take care, everybody. <laughs>